coming in yeah <laughs> so um a fellow by the name of um, i forgot his handle but he he messaged me he dm'd me and he said mm. you've got to speak to this ruben jap you've got to speak to him he he knows a bit about side chains and then uh, i thought you know let, let me check you out and then uh, yeah it's lo and behold here here you are yeah so um <laughs> uh, it's taken a bit of time for us to to sort of get together um you've been quite busy um so yeah. thank you for your time and uh no problem how's things going your side yeah, I'm uh, doing well. Uh, just a little busy, like you said, but uh, we found a good time slot. So uh, I'm yeah. uh, looking forward to the conversation. I actually haven't, uh, I mean, I do, you know, I have my own podcast with a couple of other guys, uh, but that's not super technical. So it's been a while actually that I've been on a uh, uh, another podcast where, you know, talk about probably a little bit more of the technical stuff. So I'm uh, kind of looking forward to that. Oh, been, excellent. Yeah, excellent. But, but, but your, your surname, is that Swedish? No, no, I'm Dutch. I'm from the Netherlands. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, the origin, who knows, right? Like, I mean, that's that's <laughs> Europe in general. It's all a big mix of uh, different names from different countries. So yeah. uh, I couldn't tell you if it's like a really original Dutch name. Uh, might be German or something. I don't know. But Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then I believe you, I believe you have a, a mutual connection out here in uh, Hong Kong by the name of Leo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, Leo's a nice guy. Um, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he... God, I don't even know. I guess he came to Seoul a couple of times, just randomly. I'm not sure what exactly the reason was, but he came to the Bitcoin meetup there. Um, that's sort of how I got my start with Bitcoin. Uh, I ran uh, the Bitcoin meetup in Seoul uh, since 2014. And yeah, he was uh, one of the early uh, visitors from Hong Kong. And uh, nice guy, very social and uh, fun to hang out with. Must have been a conference. I think he, he was in town for a conference. Ah, okay, okay. So, what what brought you over to Seoul? Were you just sort of like traveling the world? And... Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, it's. I guess it it just grew me. I would say, like, I was always interested in Asia. Uh, I've lived in Japan, uh, and then after that, I was got interested in, in Korea. So I, I went to Korea, and I just really liked it a lot there. Um, so that's sort of what drew me, and um, uh, I had a good time. Like you know, when I was younger, um, learning the languages. So that was also just kind of the fun part for me, uh, learning Japanese and then learning Korean. Oh. Um, and I like the lifestyle there. It's just like huge. I, I was living in Seoul, right? So it's like super huge mega city uh, with lots lots of things to do, lots of people. And organizing the meetups there was a lot of fun too, because it's kind of easy to get people together and uh, talk about whatever interests you. So yeah, that's basically what I was doing there. Well, as of late, um, I've noticed that the, the Korean television dramas have really sort of improved in uh, quality. I just finished watching a television television series called, what's, I think it's called Squid Game. Or Squid Game. <laughs> funny. Holy fuck. So Netflix has been uh, recommending it to me. <laughs> I only got through it for the first episode halfway. And I was like, ah, stuff this. I came home uh, after a man, man cave and my wife is like, you have to watch this. <laughs> we binge watched the entire thing. It was great fun. Um, yeah. Anyway, so so um, yeah, so you you're the creator uh, of Space Change. Could you go uh, into that? Could you let me know? Yeah. What what is this? Uh, but before we go into that, why 
does Bitcoin need sidechains? Yeah, I think that's a, maybe even a better better place to start. Um, yeah, so I would say, um, very generally speaking, for me, you know, I look at Bitcoin and I see a new kind of store of value and a new way for people to hold their money. And re- regardless of whether, I mean, Bitcoin is sort of the thing that I think we all point to and say like, well, this is the highest chance of succeeding. Uh, but, you know, I try to sort of have a broader perspective and say like, well, I just want there to be a really good store of value, whether that's Bitcoin or not. I think it's very likely that it's going to be Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, like I look at it and I say like, well, the ideal money for the world would be something like uh, money where everybody has equal access. Um, so that would require decentralization, basically. Um, it would have uh, ideally a minimum cost of use. So it wouldn't be, uh, fees wouldn't be too expensive, but like that's all relative, right? Because you have to pay for uh, security in order to get decentralization. Uh, but ideally, we keep it as low as possible, whatever low might be. Um, given sufficient security. Um, and then I guess inflation is also part of a cost. If you create more coins, uh, there's more of a cost to it. So ideally, you even have deflation, I would say, where the number of coins decreases. Uh, that's not the case for Bitcoin. So in that sense, you could say like, we could make Bitcoin even better in theory. Uh, but again, it's a trade-off uh, with security. So I wouldn't necessarily say that's a good thing to do. Um, but that would again, I think, create like a better uh, kind of store of value money. Um, fair distribution, right? Like how do you distribute the coins? Um, I think even in that regard, Bitcoin wasn't perfect. Um, you could have, uh, I think the distribution could have been slower. I think it was too lopsided to early uh, early participants. Uh, but you know, it happened the way it happened. And I think it's very hard to redo the experiments. If you start a new chain now, everybody's just gonna speculate to hell. And the distribution is going to be worse than what we have today. So it's the best we got, I would say. Um, And it should be widely accepted, right? If you make a carbon copy of Bitcoin, uh, and it's the same thing, but with a different 21 million limit. Uh, So we have two times Bitcoin one, Bitcoin two. um, You know, we have a couple of those, of course, already. Uh, Then also, it's not really that appealing because you want the coin that everybody else accepts, because that's the best store of value, because store of value is basically... I am not spending my money now, I'm spending it tomorrow. And in order to spend it tomorrow, somebody has to accept it from me tomorrow. And so that means automatically that it needs to be widely accepted. Um, The one thing that Bitcoin does not, and that's because it's the ultimate store of value, I'd say, is it's not a stable asset, right? So that would be, I guess, one thing that Bitcoin would be lacking. Um, So sorry, like this is maybe kind of a long, long long-winded explanation as to like why sidechains matter. No, Uh, man. we got yeah. we got the time and and you know some, right. some conversations require these these chunks of time so sure yeah liberal use mate you you go on yeah yeah no i think it's also like um it's good to set the stage a little Absolutely. right because like it all comes down to fundamentals i think and it's all connected to this so so really we're we're looking at this thing that it like basically is bitcoin um and fundamentally this thing just doesn't scale Right, we have the way it works is you have a blockchain, and everybody downloads every transaction. Even somebody who a participant who starts participating tomorrow has to go back and validate the entire history. So any transaction that I ever made, you ever made, everybody has to validate. And if we assume that you know everybody eventually will be using Bitcoin, 
then literally everybody will have to be validating everyone's transaction. And ultimately that just does not scale. So really I think scaling and sidechains comes down to how can we, how can we preserve what is this kind of ultimate store of value or this ideal store of value? And you know, like if you if you don't like Bitcoin, like I mean, obviously this is going to be appealing to Bitcoiners, but you know, if, if someone has their own favorite altcoin and they think that altcoin is a better store of value, then actually everything I say should connect to that. Like it doesn't, it's not exclude like all the sidechain stuff I've been working on. I focus on Bitcoin because I think that's the important one, but it works on any other blockchain basically uh, it, because it's it's a technology and it works on a blockchain. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, ultimately everything is going to revolve around Bitcoin. Uh, but that's sort of, I guess, interesting to keep in mind that um, maybe even weird, right? Where a lot of the stuff I work on is for Bitcoin, but it's not necessary. Like it can work on all the other stuff. <laughs> so I focus on Bitcoin, but, you know, it's technology and you can apply it to other things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so specifically the, uh, uh, the, the sidechain stuff. It, it is sort of you're, you're looking for a way to do more with the existing technology. So you've got this Bitcoin blockchain. You have to have this block size limit, whatever you put the limit in at like one megabyte, 10 megabytes. Like, I don't even care what you think the limit should be. Uh, there's going to be a limit. And then after that limit, well, what do you do? Um, and sidechains are sort of an exploration of, well, how can we do more with less? How can we not just stretch out that limits and just say like, oh, let's go from 10 to 100 megabytes and et cetera, et cetera. And fundamentally, we just lose basically all these properties that uh, you know I mentioned. Um, and sidechains, they are basically a way of looking at it and saying like, okay, let's make some trade-offs that, that preserve what we have today, but give us more somehow. And one way of doing that one way of doing that type of scaling, I would say, is creating an altcoin. It, it's one way of doing it, right? You could say like, okay, well, I have this use case um, that requires advanced smart contracts and Bitcoin does not currently support advanced smart contracts. So let's just create another chain and let's put a, another, and, and then once you have another chain, now you have these issues like, well, in order for people to use the, the chain, you need to have a token. And then you get into this whole stuff with like, okay, well, you know, I need to put a lot of time into developing the chain. So maybe I just give myself a bunch of these tokens and then I sell it to the market and I get a bunch of money and then other people can maybe also get a bunch of money. And Congratulations, you just whole... invented the ICO concept. <laughs> yes, pretty much. ICO, altcoin, like it's all a very similar concept. And, and you know, there are different degradations of literally giving yourself tokens versus... Right. Uh, mining, and then maybe people are secretly have some kind of incentive so they can mine better than other people. Um, or it's the kind of coin where they launch it, but then they don't do any marketing. And then first they mine a bunch themselves. And then after a while, they go and market the, the shit out of it. And then, then they basically have a pre-mine equivalent without pre-mining. So there's a whole you know bunch of ways in which you can do stuff that is, uh, in my opinion, fundamentally immoral. And, um, and illegal. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, legality is sort of like, I mean, I, I would agree, but like legality is the thing we're skirting around, right? With uh, like, we're trying to create systems here that cannot be uh, touched by regulation. True. That's uh, true. So, yeah. so, you know, you could 
say that and and I would like for that to be regulated, but considering we're creating systems that are supposed supposedly, I mean, people are creating them in such ways that they can be regulated, of course. Um, it's not really an answer, right, to this uh, this question. But uh, yeah, I think it just fundamentally creating an altcoin creates all kinds of problems. Um, and like one of them, like very simply put, is okay, so you've got a use case and you want people to, uh, let's say it's a good use case. Um, I don't know, you're, um, uh, let's just pretend there's a, some kind of DAO smart contract thingy that people really like and it's actually useful. Uh, you know, I, I could question that as well, but let's say there is. Well, you still need to have value within that within that system. And then the value is your speculative token that you used to, you know, build the system in the first place. And then the question is, well, who really wants to hold that token? Is it a store of value? And, and fundamentally, the answer tends to be no, it's not a store of value. So at the end of the, end of the day, if that use case, the only way token can have value, like theoretically, is if it's a useful use case, and after you've used it for that use case, you pass it on to somebody else who wants to do it for the same use case. And hopefully this goes into perpetual, uh, like perpetually continues. So you have this sort of perpetual value there because of, because of the use case. Uh, but there are a bunch of problems with that. And the first problem I would say is um, that it is not at all guaranteed that your use case is going to exist on that specific chain into uh, the far future. And in fact, the way it goes because of the whole pump and dump mechanics is that you got this one chain that's popular and then, okay, there's some value there because people are using it and people are speculating on top of it. But then everybody moves to the next chain because now all the marketing and all the hype is here. And so this one goes to zero. So what, it ends, up, what ends up happening is pump, dump. And you are basically within even even if you care about the use case you're also speculating there is no way you can you can do the thing that you're interested in and also and, and not speculate at the same time so you're you're trapped in this like it's like you're buying a lottery ticket while you are doing the thing that you're trying to do you know what i'm saying yeah it's having your cake and eating it basically <laughs> that's one way of saying it i guess yeah um yeah so I think that's just kind of fundamentally problematic. Um, and then, you know, people do things like they use the token as collateral to create other tokens. And that's, that's, you know, that's the same thing where it's like, well, if it's going to go to zero, it's not good collateral. So whatever you're doing that you can do because it's collateral, it's not going to last. Um, and so fundamentally, and, and this is not easy to answer, but fundamentally, if you could do the same thing without having a speculative token there, that would be better. And that's, basically very long answer to your initial question. That's basically what space chains are about. It is about how to do a, an alternate chain without attaching an altcoin to it uh, and having the exact same use cases, but without all the speculation. And um, yeah, that was sort of tricky to achieve, but, uh, but like at a high level, that is, that is what space chains are. Okay, okay. Um... I think the, the actual question was, um, why does Bitcoin need side chains? Yeah. yeah um, okay. and, this, and, and you spoke very much about the, the, the specific implementation of space chains in this regard. I mean, there are a mm -hmm. number of different uh, side chain proposals. Um, I, I, you know, to, to me, like just to sort of uh, elaborate on an even higher level, at least my perspective, 
is that um, you know a lot of these a lot of the bitcoiners we've gone through we've got a bit of PTSD from all the big block wars and the shit coiners and and, sure. and you know all of this stuff sort of coming through um, and, and I think it's kind of understandable and and this whole concept or idea of this uh, what's the toxic ma uh, maximalism that's that's coming about um, to a degree I think that's interesting but it's also rather naive and, and I think might be immature in some senses um, for the reason is that that there is no better store of value out there in my opinion than Bitcoin I mean property is the typical use case of this and you try and maintain property it's 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 a nightmare um, so Bitcoin is just a private key you stash away somewhere and it looks after itself. It doesn't suffer from bit rot. Sure. So, um, and then, and now, and now, yes, going, going into a little bit earlier, you mentioned like you can build a bunch of systems that, that are pegged by or, or backed by certain things. You might have sort of like options and whole different sorts of uh, 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 our entire economy is sort of based on these higher level of financial constructs. And if, if there's a strong, intense, Oh, if there's an intense level of toxic masculinity, uh, no. <laughs> maximalism. <laughs> I, uh, let's, not, let's not get woke here. Let's not get woke here. Yeah. Um, um, what's going to happen is, what's going <laughs> to say again? It's not our podcast. <laughs> That's not, uh, definitely not. <laughs> Take on bridge on that. Um, what's going to happen is that um, those things are going to be created anyway, and they need to be created, in my opinion, they should be created on, on Bitcoin. Um, yeah. Do you have what's your, what's your thought about that? Because because I mean, if, yeah. if if there's a strong sense of uh, uh, push away, we you know you're coming to fix Bitcoin or something like that, um, then it's it somebody else will do it, and it won't be on, done on Bitcoin. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's tricky, right? Because I think um, a lot of these things are bad trade-offs that you can't really attach to Bitcoin without. Uh, sacrificing the the kind of store of value ability of Bitcoin. So I think for a lot of these things, you're right to say no to them. And uh, in in my own proposals, a lot of it has been very careful to not do like not damage anything that Bitcoin currently does and still provide more features. Whereas I think a lot of the stuff that's being proposed and a lot of the stuff that you see in altcoins are way more dangerous and way more um, hurtful towards the kind of the store value ability of Bitcoin. So it does not really apply to Bitcoin most of the time. Um, and I think that's sort of where, you know, there's there's this subtle line, right, of where it, it doesn't mean there are no ways to do, to do it on Bitcoin, uh, but the way you have to go about it is not the way you go about it with all, uh, in like how all these altcoins are doing it. I agree. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so I've got a number of questions and I sort of want to like, I want to, I want to interleave them into the conversation at like key points. Um, and I think probably the next, the next sort of um, way I'd like to go is like, exactly how did you come about designing sp uh, space chains? Uh, uh, what's yeah. the origin, the history of, of the, the project? You know, when did this, the idea sort of start percolating? I mean, sure, mulling yeah. around in your head, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, just very generally, right, like connecting to what I was saying earlier, like I look at Bitcoin and I try to find ways to do more with less and ideas come from that. And I, I look at concepts that I found interesting that are either there in altcoins or there are things people said on, uh, you know, Bitcoin dev mailing list or, or Bitcoin talk forums 
whatever. And maybe it's like a loose idea that's like interesting, but doesn't really connect to anything else. And basically I would say I'm a collector of these little ideas. And then eventually I draw a line between them. And then you end up with a new concept. And I would say like, that's maybe how all innovation happens because you know, if you take the iPhone or something, right? When, when it was very novel, every individual part existed, but putting them together was like the innovation you could say. That's um, wisdom, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. So, you know, it's, um, and I would say that's sort of maybe like what is my specialty is just knowing a lot of these high level, small things that you could do with Bitcoin or blockchains in general. Uh, and having the ability to sort of like, you know, put them together because I know all these things. Um, and then, yeah, Space Chain specifically, um, it came, actually, it came from me looking into drive chains and looking at Paul Stortz's uh, blind merch mining. And pretty I good thought, work, that is. That's pretty yeah, good work. I, I thought all the, uh, all the concepts that, that Paul worked on, they were all very interesting concepts. Like, like the thing, everything put together, there were things I didn't like about it. There are things I did like about it, but it was very interesting. Right. So I, I really appreciate Paul's work uh, regardless of like, I mean, you know, many people, they, they think like, Oh, this is a bad proposal, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's a very interesting proposal. Um, so regardless of whether you like it or not, I think everybody should appreciate that. Um, but um, it, it seemed to me like the way, <clears throat> the way in which, Paul's proposal worked and the blind merge mining parts. I, I had an intuition that, hey, you can probably do this in a simpler way. And that is basically, you know, one of the two parts. Like maybe, maybe it's also good to sort of like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, I guess, get into it. But um, so the blind merge mining parts is specifically in Paul's proposal was a soft fork. So it was like, okay, well, hey, let's, um, let's just decide on this unique location in, in the blockchain, uh, specifically Coinbase transaction, you put a hash there. And let's allow people to bid on putting a hash in that location. Yeah. And um, that's, that's, that's fine and all, you can do that, but creating that as a soft fork uh, is, is like one of those things that just already makes it very difficult to, to get it adopted into Bitcoin because now you have to convince everyone, hey, this is a useful change that you should really want. Um, and you should update your software in order to, to get it. And I think with drive chain, sort of that's, that's where it sort of got stuck, right? Where not everybody was convinced. There was not enough momentum in order to create a soft fork in order to enable it. Um, but the blind merge mining parts, I sort of realized that given a few smart tricks, you can enable this already without a soft fork by creating a certain sequence of transactions that you, well, you can do them in multiple ways. Either you create some kind of covenant or you just pre-sign a bunch of transactions. And then you let anyone basically outbid the other person in order to put the transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain and attach a hash to that specific transaction. So now you've got the sequence of transactions of which only one per block can enter the Bitcoin blockchain. Anyone can put it into the Bitcoin blockchain and whoever succeeds to put it into the Bitcoin blockchain gets to put their hash there, which is a hash that refers to an all a whole different block on a different chain, which in this case is a space chain. So that concept, it was sort of the uh, the the first 
of, of I would say, two parts that uh, space chains consist of. Uh, and this gives you a, a mechanism that, again, is, is similar to like half, half of what uh, Paul Storch did with the drive chains, but without a soft fork. And it allows you to create these completely separate blockchains, but it's still a separate blockchain, right? We haven't solved the altcoin problem. So, okay, now you've got this other chain, but how are you going to put transactions on there? What are you going to do on there? Uh, you should, maybe you should put a token on there, but if you put a token on there, it's going to be an altcoin. It's going to be an altcoin. You run into all these problems that we just discussed. Um, so, so that's sort of the, uh, the, the second part. You're referring to, um, sorry, you're referring to the drive chains. Uh, when you when you create a, a side chain or a drive chain, it, you're going to have um, an altcoin. No, sorry. Uh, so, so, so there are two mechanisms, right? Yeah. So for drive chains specifically, the first mechanism is how do we create an alternate chain? The second mechanism is how do we put Bitcoin on that alternate chain? Right, right. So, so these are two two steps basically. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I'm talking about the first step. Is okay, okay. You create this alternate chain. Right. But if you just take that step, you have an altcoin. Right? If you don't put Bitcoin on there, what are you going to do with that chain? Well, what most people do with another chain is they create an altcoin, right? Like name, uh, name coin or something like that. That's what you're referring yeah. to. Except that was merge yeah. mining, not blind merge mining. Yeah. So, so the difference between merge mining and blind merge mining, it's not super important, but basically uh, blind yeah. merge mining is superior, let's say. Uh, no, I, I just added that as a, as a, as a yeah. FYI. Um, okay. So, so now your objection is that if you do have a, a, an altcoin, um, you know, you're going to add what all of the issues of having an altcoin. But I think I think Paul's argument there is that it's also fine to have that. It'll be you could you can make it backed by Bitcoin. Basically, his idea is that I actually don't he doesn't give a damn what what goes on in there. The point is, no, that no. So, so specifically, like Paul's proposal is not to create an altcoin, right? Paul's proposal yeah. is. You don't have an altcoin, you have Bitcoin, and Bitcoin yeah. it goes onto the other chain. Okay. Um, so so that's one way of solving it. No. But the mechanism that Paul uses to move Bitcoin from the Bitcoin blockchain to this alternate chain is a, a, a mechanism that people have doubts about whether or not that's secure enough. Um, and that is sort of like you know that's that's the big difference between space chains and drive chains. Like they're not similar at all. I would say. Uh, they're similar in that they're completely separate blockchains and they're similar in, in that they create consensus the same way. But actually, Paul's proposal is technically, if, it, if the peg, pegging mechanism works where you can move a Bitcoin from the Bitcoin blockchain to the alternate chain, that is better than what I propose for, for space chains. Uh, because what I propose for space chains, I haven't really gotten, gotten into it because I, I tried to kind of separate the two concepts, but I guess, you know, like the lines blur a little bit here. Uh, the concept I propose for space chains is actually let's not let's not let's only allow you to move the, the token from the Bitcoin blockchain to the space chain, but you're just simply not allowed to move back, which basically means you destroy your Bitcoin. So you're, and, and you're that is the mechanism I yeah, suggest. Yeah, you're burning you're burning the coins. Um, yes. Now now this is where I'm going to introduce. Okay, so I've got I've got a, a question that I wanted to follow up, but before I do that, I'm just going to write this. Okay, so met, all right. So by doing that, uh, the first thing that came to my mind is that uh, you're familiar with Metcalf's law. Uh, you would have to repeat it for me. Okay, so for example, um, in the telephone network, 
you, the more nodes you, that you add to this network, the more valuable the entire network becomes. So sure. for example, in, in the sense of like an example is Bitcoin mining. The very fact that everybody is using the electricity um, means that you can basically take this thing anywhere and it can you know, use the most, one of the most efficient forms of power to, um, to, to, to sort of scale up operations. A Bitcoin mm -hmm. miner will over here will work in, in, in Russia and everywhere else. Um, and the same with like a telephone system. Um, I can contact anywhere or an IP network. I can contact anybody and it, it becomes more and more valuable. So now by burning Bitcoin on, from the main chain and that Bitcoin moves to a side chain um, representing, uh, uh, represented as a token or something like that, that means you're reducing the amount of um, uh, um, trading partners in total. Am I correct? Uh, the trading the amount of trading partners on the Bitcoin blockchain, or, or yeah, uh, well, well, okay, so yeah, so you've got you've got X value, twenty one million potential yeah. coins. Just assume mm -hmm. that they're all liquid. Um, yeah. And if you take out a chunk, a quarter mm -hmm. of it, and you just yeah. move it onto a side chain, you're basically yeah. cutting. Uh, 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 a quarter, a quarter of the brain now. So, mm -hmm. You know the, the different connections that can potentially go. I so see, it can I see only go one saying. way, yeah. but it can't go the other way. So in other words, yeah. um, am I correct in saying that? Um, no. <laughs> okay. <All right>. Why? <laughs> yeah, but no, but uh, it's a good question. It's a good question. Oh, but why? Um, why? So okay. okay. So the first thing I would say is, it, the value of Bitcoin is not is not in the number twenty one million. It's in that there is a limit. Let's say we woke up tomorrow and everybody found out that they have doubled the Bitcoins that they had yesterday. And so if you had one Bitcoin, now you have two Bitcoins. And so what does this do to the number of nodes, right? The number of connections in Bitcoin? Absolutely nothing. What does it do to the amount of value that people are holding? Absolutely nothing. So it's not about, it's not about the number of coins that are in the system. That's completely irrelevant. But back in yeah. 2005, all right, I hear you. But I'm going to, I'm going to keep pushing no, no, this go point. Ahead, yeah. Back in 2005, I, started, I studied something called LETS, Local Economic Trading Systems. Um, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a piece of software called Cyclos, which is basically, you allows you to spin up your own currencies, but basically it's a it's database. It's a centralized database and you can have the currencies in these forms. You can have, you can create different forms of currency like time bank, uh, time, uh, uh, time based currency, or um, there's, there's a whole different, uh, different uh, sets of uh, types of currencies and rules that you can create with the system. Mm -hmm. um, and the creator of these, this let organization, he wrote a book and, and he said that he went about creating this because in his particular town in Canada, what had happened is that all of the currency that was in that area basically moved, it moved out of that thing. So they didn't really have anything to, 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 to exchange or transact with each other. The dollars there mm -hmm. became, you know, dried up. Yeah. Um, and so he was like, okay, let me, let me create this. So maybe your argument is that, mm, yeah, no, no, those dollars would increase in value, right? In that area. So, so okay. So there are two things that you're, uh, you're kind of putting Conflating. together, right? Yeah, because there is such a thing as divisibility. Sure. So if, if, the, if the lowest units that you have, let's say like in Bitcoin is one Satoshi, right? Yeah. If one Satoshi became worth $1,000, 
then you have a problem when you want to send less than a thousand dollars. Right. And in the case so of that, let, the let's guy, he's only yeah. got like, you know, what, 25 pence or whatever your a quarter, you guys, you guys, Americans use that. Good luck in, in subdividing that. Uh, I'm not American, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's, you do have I'm, a bit of an American accent. Yeah. No, that, that's right. Like I, I deliberately chose to sound American. So that is tricking that is correct. me up, you bastard. I, I am tricking you up. <laughs> yes, yes. My apologies. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Um, yeah. So well, in a digital system that is very easily solved, you just make it more divisible. Like there's no problem with that. So it's not a problem of the number of, uh, it's not a, a problem of the limits, where you put the limit, whether it's 21 million, 10 million, 5 million, 1 no. million. It's, it's, a, it's a question of divisibility. So if you grant that there's infinite divisibility, then the exact number of tokens does not matter. Um, that is not the case in Bitcoin. So you can make the arguments that if an extreme number of Bitcoins leaves the system to the degree where you now have one Satoshi being worth way too much. So it's, it becomes difficult to send small uh, uh, amounts to people. Uh, that would be a problem, uh, but that is also a problem you can uh, fix with a soft fork. And it's also Not a sure. problem that, that would occur naturally if Bitcoin just became worth too much. If any, everybody started using Bitcoin and Bitcoin became some, I don't know, crazy amount of, of value, then we have the same problem. Uh, now, one Satoshi might be worth too much. Bitcoin already feels like a crazy amount of value. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, it's uh, the world is a crazy place. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. That, that, that definitely does um, counter the author of that Let's project because you're a, you can subdivide further and a soft fork can make even add more, more decimal yeah. places. All right. Okay. Okay, so basically, whoever and 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 I, I suppose that might create the incentive of of saying, well, you know what, I'm going to keep my money on the on the main chain because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of a, uh, um, you know, value moved moved out, and then that sure. you know the the value of the Bitcoin might increase further. Perfect. Yeah. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. I, I don't want people to move their coins to the space chain unless they actually need to use their coins on the space chain. If you have no use for it, don't move your coins. Uh, that is exactly uh, why it becomes non-speculative. You, you don't, there is no reason to move your coins over to the space chain and then sit on them and be like, oh, I hope my space coins become worth more. Uh, no, that's stupid. Your Bitcoins are always gonna be worth more because there's a ceiling, right? One Bitcoin can always be converted to one space coin. So the space coins will never be worth more than one Bitcoin. Right. Yeah, I see that. I see that. And what sort of uh, use cases do you have as a as a as a space uh, space chain? For example, yeah. uh, in the drive chain concept, they've got uh, this idea of um, uh, zk snark uh, stuff. Yep. So you can move the coin in, Private erase coins. the history, yep. yeah, and then and bring it back onto yep. the main chain. So I can see that's a very clear use case for me. Yep. Um, and also within the case of, for example, um, uh, 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 Thunder. Um, the idea, the concept, the idea behind that is that you can create uh, large block side chains, which eventually will be able to create, or and they are optimized towards lightning, uh, yeah. and you're able to create a, a system which can lift up the population of the world onto uh, yeah. a, a, a hash time lock contract with uh, routed payments or lightning type contracts, sure. and then you can collapse back down. Yeah. So, like, I can see that you know it's a, it's a to and fro in each of the typical use, use, use cases that I understand. Mm -hmm. Are you saying 
so in, in your case, like a lightning case, a lightning situation, you just move it out there and then move it up onto lightning and then stay, keep it on lightning forever and ever. Amen. So, so, okay. So, so the first thing, which I mentioned before, but I think it's good to mention again is yeah. if drive chains work as intended, they are superior. So everything you can do with a space chain, you can do better with a drive chain. Okay. That is, that is just a fact. Uh, the, the point of contention is that the trade-off that drive chains make is one that is bigger or more, uh, it's hard to like hard to quantify, right? But it's a different, if it, it's a different risk trade-off and it's a risk trade-off that people are generally, a lot of people are not comfortable with. So really this sort of says like, okay, well, we're going to do less, but right. we're going to do it with less trade-offs. And what we still end up with is uh, some things that are interesting, but some things that also cannot happen. So, so your example was uh, the privacy chain, where you move your Bitcoins to another chain, you mix them somewhere in there, and then you take them back out. Um, that requires having the value of the actual Bitcoin on this other chain. And that is something I would say space chains fundamentally do not do, because you do not it would be a silly idea to burn all your Bitcoins, move them over to the space chain, and then expect somebody to buy them from you in order to move back to the Bitcoin blockchain, because you cannot move back. The only way to move back is to sell them again and go back to the Bitcoin blockchain. And if you do that, you're going to sell them at a loss. So yes, you could do that and you could have your privacy chain, you could mix them. But once you move back, you, you lose value. Uh, and that's probably not going to be uh, you know, economically viable uh, so you end up not, not uh, nobody ends up doing that, I would say. Uh, so really, the use cases that are left are all the use cases that do not require a store of value. And I would argue, uh, I guess I, I shouldn't get into this too much, but I would argue that all the altcoins have that problem because all the altcoins fundamentally are not a good store of value. In my Agreed. Opinion. I absolutely yeah. <laughs> agree with you. I absolutely agree. So, yeah. So my argument here is that anything that an altcoin can do can be done with a space chain. And, but that also means that I think altcoins are not a good store of value. Um, so yeah, some use cases would be, the first one is very simple, asset issuance. So if you wanna issue some kind of token, like, uh, uh, like the Blockstream mining notes, for instance, that's an, that's an interesting uh, use case. Uh, so this would not be a trustless token, right? This would be somebody who's issuing something or a stable coin like USD Tether. You need to have some kind of function to create a token and then um, send the token over to other people. And traditionally, that's been like either you do it on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, but it requires one Bitcoin transaction every time you want to move the token, or it requires an alternate chain, which is an altcoin. Uh, I guess there's a third option, which is federations, but but federations, they add a trust assumption. Uh, that is, I think, also perfectly fine, depending on your use case, uh, but it sort of like deviates from the uh, decentralization ideal. And uh, so that is now possible on this space chain without requiring some kind of altcoin as, as you know, in, in between uh, assets in order to pay for block space. And... Um, it is still tied to Bitcoin in the sense that the space chain is tied to Bitcoin. Oh, sorry. You said when you said asset, you mean A S S E T, not A C I D. Yeah. Yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> forgive me. Forgive me. I was like a little bit of a 
ambiguity there. Yeah. Keep oh, going. Asset on the blockchain would be an interesting one as well. But, uh, I haven't figured that one out yet. Sorry. <laughs> so, no, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Asset. All right. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So asset issuance. So issuing tokens yeah. is what I meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, this is like the color coin protocols that you have on right. Bitcoin. Uh, but then on a separate chain. So that's one use case. And then you can also use that for federated tokens, right? So somebody could issue a two-way peg federated Bitcoin on a space chain, which would give up the trust, the trustlessness, right? It would no longer be like fully decentralized, but you're free to do so. Um, and it would be sort of interesting. Um, so you have this decentralized chain, but one of the assets on top of the chain is not decentralized, kind of like that. Um, NFTs, right? That's also asset issuance, basically. Uh, DeFi, depending on how you want to define it. If you have some kind of USD Tether stablecoin on there, you can use that as collateral for all your DeFi stuff. Uh, again, I wouldn't say that's trustless, but you know, that's one way of doing it. Uh, DNS is another one of those use cases where maybe you want to have some kind of decentralized registry for your URLs. Uh, and now you could do that, like Namecoin, right? The Namecoin example, but without the Namecoin token. And I would argue that is superior ultimately. If you can do the same thing without the speculative assets, uh, that is preferable. Now you can purchase your domain name without also having to purchase a lottery ticket while you're at it. Um, and then I guess there's one final use case, which is a little bit more of a questionable one, but that would be low value payments. So even though I said it's not a good store of value, I think there are some ways in which you can use a space chain to create some some amount of payments a possibility. And one very simple example would be, given that you have a space chain, given that you have demand for its block space, right? People want to use the NFTs or something. They want to trade the NFTs. So in order to trade the NFTs, they have to have some space coins. So the space coins will have some value, but just not very much. Um, you, you might as well use that value to pay someone 10 cents, for instance. That would be possible. Um, but you shouldn't store that value there, right? So somebody gets a payment, they get uh, 100 times 10 cents until they have uh, $10. And then after they have $10, they better get back to the Bitcoin blockchain because if they keep it there, eventually it's going to probably cause a problem uh, in you, terms and, of uh, how and much you value would get, is. And you would get back to the Bitcoin blockchain by uh, out-of-band uh, um, uh, market transactions. Markets. Markets. Yeah, markets. You have to sell uh, your space coins. And that is also why you are not guaranteed to get one Bitcoin back, right? You are guaranteed to, to trade one Bitcoin for a space coin because you destroy the Bitcoin and you create the space coin. That's all good. Uh, but once you want to go back, you are reliant on what people are willing to pay for it. So you need another person that comes after you that also wants to make use of the space chain. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can't sell your token. Okay. All right. So the value transfer. So technically, you can re- return your value ba- value back to the main chain, but it would be in the form of uh, out of band markets, which is yeah. also which is also viable and totally yeah. legitimate. So I can maybe give you one example that uh, I recently thought of that might be useful. Please do. Um, so people, sorry. Please do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so people tend to equate Bitcoin to gold, right? But it's actually uh, a, a flawed analogy in the sense that with gold, what you have is you have a lot of gold that is locked up under the earth that people can get out, but for a cost. And what this does is it creates a, it, it means the price will 
we put if the if the price of gold goes up, people get more gold out of the earth, and that causes the price to go back down. So there's sort of a proof of work mechanism where gold cannot go up too much because once it goes up too much, people take more gold out of the earth and now the price goes back down. And that's something Bitcoin does not have. No matter how high Bitcoin goes, no matter how much the number goes up, uh, there won't suddenly be more coins. Well, maybe there are people that suddenly decide to sell their coins because the number is so high, uh, but there won't be inflation. Whereas with gold, you could say, I mean, inflation, it's all relative, right? Because in, within the earth, there is only a limited amount of gold, but uh, it's not available for, for trading. Yes, I believe um, this is the first time in, in the history of humanity whereby we've had something that no matter, no matter the amount of demand for, for this thing, um, the supply that comes into the, into, that comes into the market is actually the same or yes. halves every four years indeed. Yeah. So now to go back to the space chain analogy, imagine you have a, a gold mine where there's a tremendous amount of gold, right. but it's, it costs a very fixed price to get the gold out. So what, what this does is it puts a, uh, a ceiling on the price of gold. Because no matter how much demand there is, yeah. at a certain price level, more gold will be taken out of the earth. Right. And this is basically what a space coin is. If demand goes up, people will burn their Bitcoins to create more space coins and the price is fixed. So it's, it's sort of like gold where the cost of extracting is fixed to one Bitcoin. Is that a useful analogy? First uh, time I'm using no, it. I, th I, so. think, I, think, I think that <laughs> needs to be cleaned up a bit. Um, okay. And, and, and bear in mind, you're, you're, you're speaking to somebody a bit retarded. I, I am a bit slow. Okay, so, so gold in this case is obviously the, the Bitcoin and um, the extraction. Oh. Is that correct? Sorry, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's my point, right? Gold is not like Bitcoin. No, I mean, in this, yeah. in this metaphor that you're using. Okay, so uh, okay. say it again for me, please. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, sure. So I'm saying that space coins are the gold. Ah, okay. So, and you use Bitcoin yeah. to extract, to, to get space coins, right? So now the yes. space coins reaches a certain price limit where people will decide, yeah. okay, it's, it's worth my value, worth my time to, to burn some of my Bitcoins to extract this thing. And then yes. maybe the price of, and then, and then you, you get more space coins, then the value of the, of the, of the, of the space coins drops. Therefore, I'm no longer incentivized to burn my Bitcoin to get more space coins. So I'd yes. rather just like go on a market or, mm, yeah, I could go on the market. I could go on a market you, to get the, you the always, Bitcoins at a cheaper price, right? Yeah. You always go on the market first until the market is more expensive. It's too than, hot. It's too hot. And then you're like, yeah, fuck yeah. this. I'm just going to burn some of my Bitcoin exactly. to, get the, yeah. to get the, yeah. Okay. And so I'm saying that's analogous to how gold gets extracted from the earth. Right, right. I understand. I understand. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like that. <laughs> Good. Okay. Uh, yeah, you can, you can use that analogy uh, or, or metaphor uh, uh, or analogy, yeah. whichever one. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so now another question I wanted to ask you is this. Uh, you're European. Now, Europeans tend not to do NIH. Do you know what NIH means? No. Not invented here. 
So not okay. invented here is, is, uh, is a, an acronym for, yeah, it just means that. Um, and typically it's, in, it, uh, it's used in the scenario. I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers, but generally um, uh, uh, Europeans would tend to be like, okay, there's a group A, they have a similar idea, an idea, and a group B have a, a, a similar sort of idea. What will happen is they will tend to join together, join forces, uh, and make the possibility likelihood of this idea coming together more stronger. Sure. Americans, on the other hand, you know, yeah, Yahoo America, you know, like got to do everything our own way, et cetera, et cetera. They'll be like, no, let's create our own thing, you know, like our own thing and then reinvent everything from the beginning from scratch. So it'll be a separate entity, um, which, which could dilute um, uh, things. Why is it that, that you've chosen to, 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 to essentially do NIH. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the way I look at it is that like, like for me, it's just, how do we scale Bitcoin? And I think all proposals are welcome. Uh, you know, Paul's proposal is welcome. Sure, 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 sure. I understand. Uh, we have federated side chains. Yeah. Uh, like for me, it's just sort of like, let's find every possible way that we can do this and just do them all because it's permissionless. You can just do it depending on like, like if you need a change to Bitcoin, like that becomes more difficult. But if you don't need a change to Bitcoin, like a federated sidechain, anyone can start a federated sidechain. So to me, it's like, okay, more, the more federated sidechains we have, the better, right? And in the same way, space chains are one way of doing it. And it's a different set of trade-offs that might be useful for certain use cases, might be less useful for other use cases. Uh, so yeah, again, let's just do that. Uh, and so for me, it's just... The things that like I've worked on, like space chains and, and some of the other things, are things that did not exist before, trade-offs that have had not been made before. And therefore, I think they're worth pursuing, regardless of whether they work or uh, work out or not. Um, it's it's a mentality of let's try what we can try, basically. Okay. I see. I see. All right. Hmm. That's so specific tough, eh? to that's, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it's also quite tough because you know, like in this in this scenario in this situation, it it really does come down to like you know, like if if we sort of uh, uh, dilute or or make our energy go in multiple different ways, mm. it's a sense of, okay. So imagine if you got like a a body sure. over here, and then you apply energy in this direction, this way, all of these different directions, the ball's just going to jiggle around a bit, a little bit, you know, and then it I, won't yeah. move very far from the from the original source. Whereas yeah. If you take, and there is only a limited amount of people in, in, in the sidechain uh, communities on Bitcoin, if, if they sort of gather around, they all gather around the best idea, and then they all focus on this, the ball will move a lot further <laughs> in one direction. True. You're aligning yeah. all the energy. Sure, maybe not everybody's happy with, um, with their particular idea, but you know, like if everybody sort of gets together and, and says, okay, we make some trade-offs, at least we're moving in a roughly approximately the right direction. And, and the main reason is that this sort of stuff requires education, man. It's not just those, that group of people. It's, it's, it's a lot of people in Bitcoin and it requires education. It requires this sort yeah. of stuff and it requires concerted effort to get a number of people all in this and uh, looking in the same direction. Yeah. So with that in mind, with that, having said that, do, do you say, do you see validity in what I just said? Um, sort of like, like, okay. I, I think the, um, the 
problem with that is that it's sort of idealism to okay. say like, well, if only everybody pointed their finger in the same direction. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, how are you going to get everybody to point their finger in the same direction? Uh, that's that's kind of the the, the problem here. Um, so I think ultimately that is nice, but just sort of impossible and something that I uh, I think in the past I, I had ideas like that. Like um, this happened for uh, the Bitcoin meetup in Seoul, for instance. Oh yeah. Where we 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 like initially I sort of was very idealistic and I was like. Hey guys, we all like Bitcoin. Let's all move into the same direction, do the same thing. Uh, but then turns out there were a bunch of bunch of uh, altcoiners within the group of the Bitcoin group, and you know they split off, and you know, like it became like eventually it just didn't work, right? So, and I, at the time I was trying really hard, like to, to keep everyone together and be like, no, no, we should all, you know, if we all move in the same direction, it's better. So, you know, I, I was sort of in that camp and I just realized the impossibility of it, I would say. Um, so while, while I agree uh, that that would be nice, uh, I also know that it's sort of just something you can't have any control over. Yeah, I had a similar sort of experience with uh, with the hacker space out here. There's, mm-hmm. there's nothing... Yeah. There's nothing as reality checking as, you know, trying to hurt a bunch of cats or hackers and trying to get <laughs> yeah. them going in one direction. It's like, oh, fuck, that didn't yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. No, um, it's uh, yeah. It very much the approach that I take is uh, I move where I think I should move and I welcome other people who want to move with me. Right. Uh, but I'm not going to spend energy trying to make other people not move where I think they should be moving. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I just wanted to sort of like uh, address the the NIH good question. question yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so be it. Um, all right. Do you have any uh, sort of implementations uh, of this? Um, Space chains have no uh, no implementation currently. Um, there are a couple of. There's one way of doing it which requires a soft fork, which is the ideal way of doing it. Could you? Okay, let's go into the more details about this. Okay. Now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this uh, soft fork in the works uh, called AnyPrevOut. Uh, and this is uh, basically a soft fork that is mainly intended for uh, the Lightning Network in order to create um, Lightning channel factories where you can have multiple Lightning channels within one single UTXO, so multiple participants. Um, and it just generally makes the Lightning Network more safe because you no longer have this um, mechanism where you have to punish someone. And instead, you can sort of overwrite. If someone sends the wrong state to the Bitcoin blockchain, you can overwrite it with, with the correct state. So this change coincidentally also enables a limited form of covenants for Bitcoin. And with this limited form of covenants, uh, we can create this space chains uh, transaction mechanism that I described earlier. So now it turns out there are a couple of ways in which we can do it even without the soft fork. Uh, but those mechanisms are, they all come with certain downsides and this gets a little bit too much into the weeds. So I don't, no, I don't know if I should weeds. go into it. Now. I like it. I like it. I like <laughs> right. weeds. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, so one of the mechanisms, I mean, part of the problem is, is that it's also very difficult to explain without like pen and paper, but oh. um, mm-hmm. at a high level, um, one of the issues is that one, one of the mechanisms that you can do 
is you just pre-create all these transactions. But then what ends up happening is that one person has to pay all the fees ahead of time for all these transactions. Uh -huh. So this ends up being, because you have to, there's no end date. Theoretically, there's no end date to the chain. So theoretically, the number of payments you have to make ahead of time is infinite. Uh, but you could say like, okay, well, let's have this chain live for four years or something. And then uh -huh. after four years, there's sort of a hard fork moment where you have to decide, okay, uh, how do we continue this chain? Okay. All right. So, okay. All right. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. And so the problem with this is basically just costs. Like somebody has to pay like a hundred K or whatever. I, I don't even remember how much it was uh, in order to make this chain come into existence. And one of the interesting things is that once you have the first space chain, all the other space chains can exist inside of that space chain. So it's only the problem for the initial bootstrapping of the first space chain. Pay. Okay. So pay to who? To the miners right miners yeah right yeah yeah and there okay. there are some other unfortunate things like in bitcoin there is this a rule where if you create an output the output has to have roughly 500 satoshis in it because otherwise it's not economical to spend the output so in this mechanism you sort of have to have two transactions uh one transaction is pre-signed the other transaction can be created on the fly and has the hash to the block and this transaction can bump the fee of this transaction. But this transaction, the initial transaction that was pre-signed still needs to have a minimum amount of fees because that's the uh, relay, the, the, those are the Bitcoin Core relay rules. And the outputs that you're spending needs to have at least 500 Satoshis in it. So these rules are all, they're not consensus rules. So one option would be for Bitcoin Core to change their um, relay policy. And make it so that if you create an output that gets spent in the same block, the output can have zero satoshis. Because now there's really no there's no cost to the network if if the output gets spent right away. And that's the concern. If you create an output that never gets spent because it has so few satoshis in it that spending it costs more than creating it. But we're actually not creating an output because it's spent in the same block. So that would be sort of the like one of the solutions, but it would, so this would require a non-software change to Bitcoin, but still a change. So it's sort of, it's not the easiest thing to do, especially these like relay, transaction relay policy uh, stuff. It's very complicated. Uh, I'm probably gonna be talking to people about this in the next couple of weeks and see if we can come up with something, uh, but that would be one way of doing it. Um, yeah, then there is another way, which is even more complicated, even more complicated to explain. So <laughs> I, I'm hesitant to, to go into it, to be honest. Um, but okay, at a high level, let's say. Okay. Um, and this is something that like I recently came up with after like talking to a bunch of people about this. Um, so I, I got some help here uh, in the thinking department, um, where instead of having this sequence of transactions, where first there's this transaction, then there's this transaction, then there's this transaction, you disconnect it. So you just say like, okay, you can spend this transaction any way you like. If you spend it the right way, you have created a valid space chain block. And creating it the right way means spending from the pre previous transaction and creating another output that can be spent by the next transaction. Right. But this creates the possibility of spending it in the wrong way. And so now you need some kind of recovery mechanism where if you created an output and now it's not spent in the way it's supposed to be spent, Within the next block, somebody would have to create an output that can serve as the anchor for the next space chain block. 
And the problem with this is that you have to get all like the miners could, on board. Uh, you don't have to get miners on board. All of the way. miners on board because you know the the next whoever gets the next block might be some other miner who's not running the that. So, so are you talking about the space chain miners or the Bitcoin miners? Oh, the Bitcoin miners. So very specifically, and something I haven't really mentioned, but probably would have been good to mention, this is the difference between merged mining and blind merged mining. With blind merged mining, you do not require Bitcoin miners to know anything. Uh-huh. That's the nice thing about it. We don't need Bitcoin miners to care at all. Mm-hmm. They're just going to follow the regular incentives, which is take the transaction with the highest fee. Uh, and they are by default going to be mining these. Fair blocks. enough. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I, I, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I mean it is complicated, right? So no, no, no. I always try to. Uh, no, no, it's great. Yeah. No, I, I just, I, I sure. had that, but I failed to factor in the yeah. blind merge mining aspect of that. Yeah, yeah, Keep going. Yeah. No, that's. Uh, um, I mean, let's get to it, right? Like, if there's something you're missing, just uh, point oh. it out, and I think that will be valuable to the listeners as well. Yeah. So uh, you know, no problem there whatsoever. Um, so uh, yeah, so so here. Really, you want to have a transaction that can then be spent by the next transaction, can be spent by the next transaction, but suddenly it breaks. So when it breaks, you have to create a new anchor. So somebody puts in another transaction and you can either, again, lots of details, I guess. You can either sort of, I, I think roughly my current thinking, sorry? You can tie it to that next anchor. How would yeah, you tie so, it? Well, so, so you can create the next place to which to attach the next block onto right or you can sort of create the anchor in a block at the same time if you so create a, the anch- so you either create a pointer to an anchor yeah. or you create an anchor is that what you're saying uh no so either okay. you, you create an anchor and a space chain block right or you just create the anchor and then the next block you create the space chain block okay all right um, yeah why yeah, so these have different uh, economic consequences. Yes. So if you just create the anchor, it becomes a free rider problem where nobody has any incentive to be, to, to be the one creating the anchor other than that they want the space chain to live forward. But who does it, right? It, only one person has to do it. So everybody else is like, well, I don't want to create the anchor because then I have to pay Bitcoin fees. So I think that might be good enough for an early space chain uh, but if Bitcoin fees become really high, um, maybe that starts to become a problem where, but you know, it also sort of solves itself because if literally nobody creates an anchor, um, then the change just doesn't move forward. So, so there's definitely an incentive, but it's just a question like who does it? Um, and you know, then there are a couple of more subtle. Well, my experience with, with hackerspaces is that, uh, nobody's going to yeah. do that. <laughs> so yeah, only maybe. the only the only somebody with uh you know who can be taken to court is the person who's going to do that <laughs> yeah so well you know if bitcoin fees are low like it's not going to be a huge deal right and yeah. this is not the type of event that's going to happen often it, it literally like somebody would have to sacrifice uh, a, a good amount of value in order even to make this event happen in the first place right um so it's not like it's going to happen every day and I do think you can sort of have like, you know, some kind of donation fund where you just say like, look, guys, just donate here. And then I will just put up the transaction whenever it's necessary. Um, so you, you could probably solve it that way. Um, there, there are a few more incentive things I have to think about like in, in, this, uh, in this model because it's, it's kind of a relatively new model. 
but that might be one way of uh, getting it into uh, Bitcoin today without any soft forks. Okay. <clears throat> so, all right. I listened to um, Luke Dasher. Is that how you say his oh, name? Junior. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, everybody says junior. Apparently, it's not, it's not Luke Dash Junior. It's Luke, Luke, Luke Dash Jura or something like that. <laughs> I, I believe so. Um, and and he's got an interesting, yeah, exactly. And he's got an interesting yeah. talk on on how changes are introduced into into Bitcoin. And it's a you know it's a very conservative approach, and and it's actually quite respectful of of everyone. Um, I think it's great. I, I after listening to those talks, I I've walked away with a more more respect and you know uh understanding of the consequences of of compromising these things and and honestly it's a, it's very refreshing compared to the the shit that goes down in shit coins or altcoins um yeah. who who just wing it they absolutely wing it without having any sort of like respect for for uh, uh individuals yeah, I mean, the running their own nodes I mean, they're not, they're not trying to create uh, the ultimate decentralized system. They're trying to create a system that is, uh, you know, looks decentralized enough so regulators leave them alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is the goal. Um, so yeah. it's just, it's not like, you know, it's, it's a different world. Like it, it's an affinity scam in the sense that they claim to do the same thing Bitcoin does, but they're just not doing the same thing. Right. But, and, and for example, like, um, the, the respect for the individual node operator goes to the degree whereby like even new features that are introduced into the into the into the blockchain basically they're disabled by default and you know the other day a couple of weeks ago i was writing some code um which actually required required one of these features on the bitcoin um um uh, uh blockchain but that was defaulted off so I ran this code and I basically was like pinging all these nodes, all these Bitcoin nodes on mainnet for anybody who enabled this one feature, which was the, the filters feature, right? Uh, to get this, uh, these filters. I couldn't find one individual node out there that actually had enabled this shit. So it's like, it's like you know, humanity advances uh, from, from one catastrophe to the next catastrophe, right? We need to have some sort of like massive thing before everybody upgrades and like, you know, enables all the stuff. It's, it's like, okay, maybe we've got a problem here. Says um, the programmer side of me. No, and, yeah, then, and, yeah. and then there's the other side of me who says like, no, this is the right way to do it. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, the, the, the thought I have about that is like, I, I totally understand it, right? But it, it is sort of the, it is a mindset that is not compatible with decentralization to demand that people just make or expect that people make these changes and uh, upgrade their software and have all, all the latest fancy stuff that you like. Um, so it is, I would say the way to look at it, and, and I think that's a difficult way, right? Like people look at it and they get upset. They get frustrated. They're like, why doesn't this decentralized system that nobody's responsible for do not do the thing that I wanted to do, right? That's basically, you know, that's, you're, you're that's what it's boiling it down to. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like the you're, old you're, man you're shouting, shouting at the, the clouds, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, but, but like the problem is people don't see it that way, right? People see it as like, no, there is someone responsible and somebody, you know, these core developers, they need to fix their shit. Uh, like that's how they look at it. Um, so there's a disconnect, right? And, 
I think especially because Bitcoin is so fundamentally different, it's very difficult to switch that mindset. And, uh, and, and, you know, it is also very painful when you look at all these altcoins that do all these crazy things and change everything like you were saying. And then why can't Bitcoin do those things, right? Why can't we just dot, dot, dot? And well, it's because nobody's responsible and you can't just, you know, it's, it's sort of like what we were saying earlier. It's like, let's have everybody point in the same direction. It's like, well, good luck getting them to point in the same direction. Like, how are you going to do it? You can't. So like in, 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 in computer security, there's these concepts of like, you know, WASP um, or, or basically they're just like lists of best practices um, that one can do. Um, I would imagine that like it might be a good idea to create these. And maybe there are these sorts of lists that are available saying like, OK, these are the latest features and this is how you would enable them if you want to enable this new sort of feature, like, you know, like the filters uh, for Bitcoin. Um, I'd love to know if anybody knows about that. Maybe do you know about anything like that? Uh, I mean, there is always a, a list of changes with every release of Bitcoin Core. Yeah, it's not good enough. Eh? It's not good enough. It's like you know, like like if you want yeah. to enable this sort of stuff, then these are the features that you want to. And this is what your yeah. config file would look like for you when you yeah. run your Bitcoin D node. That's well, yeah. The, the general answer here is also like if you think it's a problem. Uh, go ahead and create the solution. Right? Yeah, and it's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> I, I understand that you will probably not end up doing something like that, but you know, again, like who are you? Who are you telling? Yeah, right. Who are you talking to? Well, like, I mean, uh, no, no. I ended up having to run my own node and en enabling this shit myself, yeah. and then I'm like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I could do that. So that's that's yeah. that's that's the thing. That's yeah. the solution. But but look, I I do understand the frustration, right? Like yeah. I I I can definitely relate to it. I can see how. Uh, people find it difficult, uh, but it's sort of just the cost of decentralization, I would say. And yeah. at a very extreme level, right, we might end up at this really, at this point where more and more things, ossify. more more and more people want things to change, oh, okay. but nothing is changing, right? With ossification, basically. Right. And maybe at that point, it will even create a fork of Bitcoin where people are so fed up and things just do not change where it just becomes this really like this big boiling point. And then eventually something does change, right? Like either it's like, okay, the pressure is so high now. Okay, now we can. And that's how you get consensus too, in a way, right? You get consensus when everybody is so desperate that they're willing to take action. So I see this as sort of um, this back and forth, right? Where, uh, yeah, you have to be frustrated first and only when you're sufficiently frustrated people and everybody else is frustrated, then we, we get action. Let's have a war. God damn it. Let's have a big block war. And then, and then we're like, oh yeah. Okay. And now we learned the lessons there. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but, so, but the war is sort of inevitable, I think, right. That's the, you need to get to that level and everything needs to be heated and then people take action. So, yeah. 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 So I, I'm all for ossification of Bitcoin, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the base layer. I'm all for that. I'd love to see that. But I'd love to see a, a sound, a sane uh, way to sort of lift up onto layer twos. I think that would be yeah. a really, really great way. Um, what, but, what is but, it? But the, uh, just, just one thing to add, right? Like, I think the, I see the ossification as something very similar to. I see that as an event that occurs naturally. It's not, you can't. 
wish it into existence or oh, wish it out like, of existence. Oh, you mean you can't be yeah. for it or against it? It's just like a natural progression or evolution. I mean, you can you can like it, right? Yeah, yeah okay. of course. <laughs> like, I, I, like you can like the fact that it's happening, but uh, it's inevitable. But you, basically. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it just it just naturally happens the way it happens. Yeah. 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 So um, I, I wrote a question a little bit earlier. You said the good and bad of dry drive chains. I'd like to go into why you consider um, the certain aspects of, of drive chains rather controversial, what they are. And um, do you think that they're pretty good trade-offs given the, 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 the circumstances that they rose up in? Um, so um, I would say like, I, I think I, I find drive chains very difficult to evaluate myself. Um, I have put a bit of thought into it. Uh, well, it's been a few months now, but like uh, there was a um, Reddit thread where I, I kind of went back and forth with a few people and uh, I got a few, I get guess, good thoughts on it uh, there. Um, but so the first issue that I sort of already mentioned is it's just very difficult to even activate drive chains because getting everybody to care about it enough in order to activate it, that in itself I see as a problem. Um, so just in the first place, I think the only way you can get drive chains to happen is either you do it in a way that doesn't require as many changes to Bitcoin, right? or you get this sort of controversial moments where people are like, uh, I don't know, Bitcoin drive chains edition hard fork or something, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> look, it's possible, right? Like, um, the side chain war. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, that that could happen. Um, yeah. And like the way I look at these things is not that I assign a high degree of possibility. Like, uh, I don't think it's there's a high likelihood that it's going to happen. Uh, but the way I like to think about these things is that you sort of have to keep the possibilities in mind and just prepare for every potential future and not just be like, oh, um, you know, there's a I think there's a 70% chance that uh, transaction fees are going to be high enough in the future. Therefore, I'm not going to think about what happens if transaction fees are not high enough in the future. I think like, well, even the 30% case is something you should prepare for. So even if you think it's unlikely, you better prepare for the situation where it does happen. Um, and then if it never happens, great. You don't need your contingency. And uh, you know the things you thought about end up not being important. But um, not thinking about it at all is sort of you know the other extreme, um, but um, yeah. So the first question is just how to activate it, and then the second is sort of uh, this problem of um, well, okay. So maybe maybe before I go into the the problem, maybe it's a go good for me to describe kind of how drive chains work and what they do at a high level. Great. So that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So with drive chains, it's it's really two mechanisms. Um, well, three, I guess, if you include the, the, the blind merge mining, but but the blind merge mining is sort of secondary to it. Like, it doesn't really matter how you get consensus on the other chain. You can have any chain. It could be a separate proof of work, and it would still work. Um, but really, what you're doing with Rive Chains is you're giving your coins to miners, and you just say, like, here you go, miners. I trust you to hold these coins into custody and only give them out when they're supposed to be given out as by the rules of this other chain that I'm now pointing to. Um, and so this, this is already, this is sort of this like promise that Bitcoin miners could make. And they could just say like, okay, yeah, I promise that um, if somebody tries to spend these coins in a way that they're not supposed to be spent. Uh, so 
specifically, this is a peg out, right? So you move your coins to another chain and then you want to move back. So moving your coins to the chain is giving your coins to the miners. Then moving back is asking the miners, hey, can I get my coins back? And then the miners will either say yes or they will say no. And you can trust them to make that decision. Um, so the, the rationale here is that, well, miners are going to be honest because they get the fees from this other chain. So they prefer to keep the chain alive as opposed to steal from it. And if that's not the case, well, then the chain should just die. So the second mechanism for making drive chains more secure is to put a, um, a limit on how fast coins can move out of, a, out of a chain. So once you say to the miners, hey, I want to move my coins back out, instead of that being an instant thing, you put a time, time limit on there, say three months or six months or a year or whatever you want. And this does a couple of things. So the first thing is that let's say it's an invalid peg out. Uh, and so miners are stealing from the drive chain. Can you, okay, so you, you define an invalid peg out as miners are stealing from the side chain. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Keep going. So it, it's just a peg out that was not supposed to happen. Um, everybody knows it's not supposed to happen. And so what could theoretically happen when that happens is everybody panics and says like, oh shit, all the drive chains and all the money that's in there, it's all held by miners. And the miners can't be trusted. They just showed us they can't be trusted. So the price of Bitcoin goes down because these are all Bitcoins uh, potentially. Uh -huh. And then because the price of Bitcoin goes down, before the miners succeeded in the pegouts and because there's a time limit, you can say like, okay, well, there's an economic, there's economic damage to the miners because miners, they have to hold Bitcoin. They have to, they basically have um, sort of a Bitcoin futures contract, right? Where with okay. their mining equipment, they're going to receive Bitcoins in the future. And these Bitcoins are now going to be worth less. So it's devastating um, if the price of Bitcoin goes down. Exactly. So yeah. you say, you're saying that because you, you've got this like, uh, uh, so everybody's on like watchtowers basically. And you can see that whenever there's going to be a peg out or money moving from a side chain to the main chain, it happens in very uh, slow increments. And then as soon mm -hmm. as there's an invalid one, everybody can see it for miles around. And then, and then we'll be like, whoa, whoa the miners are starting to steal. So I'm going to sell my Bitcoin and therefore the price of Bitcoin is going to drop. That is one assumption you can make. Um, okay. I don't necessarily think, like, I, I find this very difficult to you know, really predict, but I can see that being one potential scenario. Right. Um, but uh, you know, to be specific, you can't really automate knowing whether or not a peg out is invalid. Because if you automate that, it implies that you're validating every side chain, every, every drive chain. And the whole point of drive chains is that you don't have to do that. Um, because if you just validate every chain, that just means, you know, that's like a block size increase, basically. You might so, as well do. So it'll just be interested parties on that side chain that will be validating these, these um, uh, uh, peg outs. Yes. And there are scenarios under which you can sort of create a succinct proof of the peg out being invalid. So you could at least share that with other people and show them and... So, so this is kind of where things get muddy, right? Because now we get into social consensus where it's like, okay, well, oh, uh, Bitcoin miners are stealing from this uh, giga blockchain. 
well, I'm not going to run a giga block full node. Um, so how do I know whether you're stealing or not? Uh, and then other people are saying they're stealing. And then do I believe that? Do I believe these other people? Do I not believe these other people? Do I even right? care? So you, do I even care? Right. right. Um, so if I don't care, then the price won't move. So it's not really a security feature. Right. Um, but I think this is also, and this kind of goes back into like the, the second thing that you can do with this uh, slow slowdown of a pegout is you can actually have a um, soft fork that says, oh, miners are about to peg out something that's invalid. Let's just, let's just say that if they actually proceed with it, we're just gonna invalidate uh, that uh, transaction. So let's say after three months or after six months, <clears throat> the, the supposed peg out that the Bitcoin miners are signaling, the invalid peg out uh, becomes actually becomes real, right? Like it takes 36 months, you can still cancel within between that period. Uh, so if they actually go through with it, then from that moment on, the Bitcoin blocks are gonna be invalid. So miners have to invalidate the pegouts. Otherwise they're not creating valid blocks anymore. So I don't know if you already see the problem with this, but the, the problem with this is that this is similar to what we are saying before, well, if you're not certain about the consensus, if you're not even certain whether the pegout is valid or not, and now you have this subset of Bitcoin users that cares about the drive chains and tries to defend the drive chains, and you have the subset of users that doesn't want to do it because they don't, they ultimately, they, they don't want to validate this shit. Um, now you have, again, sort of a um, potential for a, uh, a network split, I would say, uh, where people are- If it's large enough, indeed. It, yeah, if it's large enough, and I, I could see potentially there being a scenario where there's a group of people that wants to do the drive chain thing and wants to protect the drive chain thing with UASFs, uh, with soft forks, uh, and there's a group of people that absolutely does not want to do it. And I would say, very generally speaking, Bitcoin is the consensus system where you don't need this stuff. It's not that Bitcoin is completely immune to it. There are moments where people have to make consensus decisions, but for the most part, you could have downloaded the Bitcoin software five years ago, still be running it today, not have done a single thing, not have paid attention to anyone and be in consensus. But when you talk about these active consensus moments, uh, that is a very different story. Now you suddenly have to uh, do something. And so I think that in, in the Bitcoin system, that kind of thing should be minimized. And you, know, you could also make the argument that with drive chains, it's just, it's just not going to work that way, right? Nobody's going to UASF. Um, and if that's the case, well, then I sort of like question whether drive chains are going to even work in the first place, all right? Or whether or not people are just going to steal from them anyway, um, miners. So, you know, this is a lot of uncertainty. And I think the first problem with the uncertainty is just that that means that it's very difficult to get consensus on this. Like I would be like, let's say I was the, like the person who had to, I don't know, uh, uh, there's only one Bitcoin developer and it was me. And people were asking me to add this thing to Bitcoin. Well, then I would be like, I don't really want to work on a feature that might not work, uh, that requires all these changes. Um, if it definitely works and if it's really secure and it's clearly just, you know, there's no downside to Bitcoin, then I would consider it. But if there is this uncertainty about it, uh, it's just very difficult to uh, to actually get to that point. Okay, so so in, 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 are you done? 
Um, there's something else I can add, but yeah, for now I'm done. Okay, add <laughs> add your point. Add your point. I've I've written down my little point of it. You, you, okay, you, okay, you, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, the, the one thing I was going to add is um, that I've actually uh, looked into uh, how to do drive chains without these software changes. So it turns out, so the first part that I talked about is giving miners your money. That's already possible today, right? You could just send it to an anyone can spend transaction and then trust the miners not to actually spend from it um, and to censor anyone who tries to spend from it, basically. So that part is, is fixed. Uh, but the part that you cannot do today is the uh, delayed pegout, right? Where the miner signals like, hey, I am going to send this these coins to address X three months from now, if nothing changes. Uh, that thing you cannot currently do. But it turns out that once we get covenant support for Bitcoin, which is either the any private change that I talked about that is also relevant to space chains, or the um, any private uh, what can you can you go into any, that? Sorry, any private. Uh, I, I mentioned it uh, earlier. It's the uh, mm-hmm. the soft fork for making Lightning Network better. Okay, so sorry. Um, I've noticed that like whenever yeah. I go or listen over these podcasts, there's a lot of information I miss because I'm busy trying yeah, to formulate sure. a lot of questions. So yeah. forgive me for. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, basically putting it simple, there are a few soft forks in the work for Bitcoin that enable simple covenants. Right. One of them is Jeremy Rubin's work, which is called OpCDV. Um, and this, this other change, any prevalence, which is actually meant for the Lightning Network, also incidentally enables uh, soft forks, uh, sorry, uh, covenants. Right. So a covenant, which again is probably a difficult word, uh, just means a restriction on how these Bitcoins can be spent. Right. So you could even call a time lock a covenant, right? right. Where you, you send the coins to an output and then the output cannot be spent right away because it's restricted by the time lock covenants that says, no, you got to wait one week and only then can you spend it. Um, and in the same way, you can restrict how the Bitcoins can be spent in other ways. Like, for instance, I'm sending it to an output and this output can be spent in three months to only this specific address. That's fair. Or you can spend it now and then you have to send it back to in this case, the Bitcoin miners. So you can create a covenant like that, that roughly works like I just described, that mimics the uh, feature that Paul Stortz had in mind for, um, for delaying the pegouts. And so once we get one of these changes into Bitcoin that are currently being looked at and are likely to enter into Bitcoin, we can also create a, v- a form of drive chains uh, that is, m- Maybe not exactly like what Paul Storch had in mind, but pretty close to it. Um, and so now you get to this point where even though I was saying there are certain possible risks uh, that might be associated with drive chains, like I, you know, I don't claim to know, right? I'm just saying there's uncertainty and the uncertainty makes people uncomfortable, uh, including myself. Um, now you, you, you get into a situation where if you really don't want this drive chains thing to happen, you actually have to also block these upcoming softworks. And I personally don't think people are, feel strongly enough about it to block these softworks. Um, 
And so we're probably going to get copies. The, the golden eye, the, the blue eyed, golden haired boy at the moment, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I do think people should be aware that, hey, once we enable this, we're sort of also enabling drive chains, just so you know. Um, and then, you know, people have to just make their make up their own mind. Uh, but drive chains is also opt in, right? You don't have to use a fucking side chain if you don't want to. Yeah, but that's the kind of like, I mean, that's, there's a tricky line, right? Because you want the the health of the network as a whole, you want it to be healthy. So even though you don't necessarily have to participate, uh, it still affects you. It's like, um, you know, another example would be, uh, let's have... Um, like, it's the same concept as like introducing changes into Bitcoin D, right? You introduce them as a, yeah. as a default off, right? I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's affecting me because they're off. <laughs> so it's like... You see what I mean? Like, well, well, the status the quo is always both ways. Well, the status quo is always the default, right? So that's how it works. Um, yeah. If if there is no consensus, then we just get no changes, and then Bitcoin is just going to be what it's what it was, and it's never going to change anymore. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, you always get like no is the default, right? The default is just, it's not there. Um, but the, uh, I mean, like one example would be like you could you could introduce another chain that has um, confidential transactions, for instance. So, so right. or like within Bitcoin, you have confidential Bitcoins and you have non-confidential Bitcoins. And now let's say there's an inflation bug and all the confidential Bitcoins, they get screwed. To, to, yeah, they get screwed. So now you could say like, well, I have non-confidential Bitcoins, so what do I care? But you know, back to your network effect story, or just generally, like it, it affects you, right? It does affect you. Um, so I wouldn't say you know you, you can just say like, well, I'm not using it, so it doesn't matter to me. Uh, I think that's slightly too simplistic. Um, but you know, that that being said, you know, for me, it's sort of like, no, if this is the way we're gonna get drive chains through these indirect uh, methods. Um, Maybe, yeah, maybe that does end up, you know, being a way for in, in which we can test out these drive chains and hopefully things are not going to go as wrong as, you know, some of the scenarios I, I, I pointed to. Um, but um, at least there is sort of a path now, let's say. Uh, I don't know whether I should be happy or sad about that, but it, that's just kind of the way it is currently. Sad in the sense that space chains won't be? Uh, uh, oh, no, no, no. I, sad I don't in like, the sense of what? No, so... I mean, I, I don't like, if there's something that's superior to what I've been working on, I, I'd be happy, right? Like the whole point is Bitcoin needs to, uh, right. uh, needs to be better than it is today. So uh, no, that's, that's not on my mind at all. Um, no, no, I meant like if, if drive chains end up being something that is controversial to Bitcoin and causes problems for Bitcoin, which it might, ah. uh, you know, then, you know, we introduce indirectly these confidence for a completely different purpose and you end up getting drive chains. And now because we have drive chains, suddenly the incentives around miners change in such a way that it, that it causes issues for Bitcoin. Um, I hear you. Okay. So, so yeah, um, yeah no, we should probably be careful of branching off on two things. So uh, let me write down something, which is, okay, now I'll raise that point first. I was worried about um, uh, countries taking on bitcoins and you know bitcoin security model and whatnot and you know then i thought uh, then i came to me then i realized actually these the governments and the states and whatnot they're actually pretty thick thick as pig shit 
to the point mm-hmm. where these guys would be happy to adopt, you know, like something like a like proof of stake coin or something like that. Um, uh, they, they wouldn't even they wouldn't even know how to attack a proof of stake coin. Do you see what I mean? So it's like it's like. Yes, it's good reasoning as a, as a cryptographer or crypto analyst looking at these systems and like, yeah, it's going to be bulletproof, bulletproof. But then at the same time, it's like, yeah, these people, these people, the, 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 the state isn't as strong as we thought it was. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so now, but now we go on a slippery slope, you see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely. Where, where are the principles? Where, where, do we, where do we say, like, this is okay? Yeah. I know, so, I know, I, and, and, and the second point before I raise this, yeah, thieves, drug dealers, politicians, uh, the good uh, um, 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 worker on the street, everybody wants Bitcoin to succeed. Everybody, except for the shit coiners, right? Everybody sure, wants yeah. Bitcoin, is, Bitcoin to succeed. So the the shitcoiners too, actually. They're converting their shitcoins to Bitcoin secretly while they're selling there it There you, you go. But, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so here we're in a situation whereby you could do even do things like you know, um, uh, drive chains. And I believe that people will, will find a way to make Bitcoin succeed, even if drive chains does cause X controversial thing, Y controversial thing, which leads me to my last point that I wrote down over there. Complex, we live in a complex world. We could have loads of complex different things. So complex complexity is an almost inevitable with, with anything that interacts with the real world. But you're not going to get a complex system that's not built on a simple system. So it starts with a simple system. And then over a period of changes, it grows into complexity. Shit corners are completely the opposite. What they do is they, they start with this harebrained, complex idea and then they go out and implement it and inevitably it just falls apart so this is the beautiful thing about bitcoin is very simple at its core but then when you start looking at like you know all the countermeasures and all of that stuff then you start to realize actually it's an extremely complicated system um, that's evolved yeah. from this simple system so i'm really not that worried about drive chain uh, the you know this, these supposed uh, there might be issues sure but hell human beings this is this system is the system is a million times better than what we've got at the moment you see what i mean yeah. like i think the, 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 well, the issues that could arise from that are almost negligible and it could yeah. just be solved by a few maybe blog posts or whatnot so i i think that's sort of um you know you're, you're sort of describing the um the way in which bitcoin functions and is secure enough as this magical thing that sorts itself and we don't have to worry about too much but it is it, yeah but it but it is it is built on people like me and other developers that worry about this a tremendous amount and make sure that it is actually as secure as it is today um, so i think that's that's sort of like the closer you get to the actual workings and the code and seeing like how many close calls we had with issues and forks and, and, and you know, bugs and things like that, the, the less willing you are to sort of be like, ah, well, I guess it will be all right. Uh, and while I sort of agree with that as well, right? I, I, do, you know, I, I do see what you were saying. I, I think that's sort of, um, I, yeah, the way I, I look at Bitcoin is like, well, is Bitcoin secure enough? I don't know. Um, 
I hope it is, but I'm not even certain whether it's it's secure enough today, right? Whether or not there's going to be some kind of fundamental flaw that just makes it all break. Uh, you know, it seems increasingly unlikely. Uh, but, you know, it's still possible that maybe this government's completely crippled the thing. And a lot of the, you know, the alternate views on that is, oh, um, Bitcoin is fine. And in fact, we can make even more uh, concessions and we can make it even more crazy. And that's going to be fine, too. And, you know, I think that's kind of sort of like the, the crazy perspective, right? Where, like, my perspective is, I don't even know if Bitcoin is fine. And then... Some altcoiner is saying, no, no, Bitcoin is absolutely fine. And my thing that is 10 times worse than Bitcoin is also fine. <laughs> right. And then I'm like, well, you know, like, where do you stand? Um, nowhere, in my opinion. Like, that's just kind of crazy talk. Um, but, um, you know, like, things are already not perfect. And the things that aren't perfect, hopefully, are not like, you know, hopefully there's a balance in things being good enough. Uh, but I certainly don't think that's ever an argument. And you already said it yourself. So, you know, I know I'm sort of, you know, talking, uh, I'm saying things you already know. Reaching to the uh, choir. But, but you, 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 yeah, you do, you do yeah. also realize that as the host, I need to do a little bit of a devil's advocate, right? So Yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's basically my point. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, so yeah, we 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 nicely covered we nicely covered those those territories. Okay, um, I think okay. So have you finished uh, with the whole drive chain um stuff? Um, yeah, the drive chain stuff is uh is done. I guess there's like uh, I guess one thing I can add about like space chain still if uh, if you're interested about that. So because one of the th so what we talked about is like how space coins are sort of like gold, right? Where you have this burning mechanism. Uh, and it allows you to create this token. So, so completely at the beginning of the podcast, I actually mentioned that while Bitcoin is the ultimate store of value, what it's not is uh, a stable uh, money, right? It, it's not a token. It's not a stable asset like the dollar is, for instance. So if we think about the types of money that we want there to exist, right, from an idealist perspective, it's not just Bitcoin. I, I don't think that's right. I don't think we only want an ultimate store of value. I think you also need a token that is uh, has stable value because some shop owner that you know lives or somebody who lives paycheck to paycheck, they can't so, accept Bitcoin and then suddenly Bitcoin have Bitcoin crash on them and then not survive the next month. Um, so Bitcoin itself is not enough. And then, you know, some people think that Bitcoin is going to be ultra stable in the future uh, when uh, everybody holds Bitcoin. Uh, I think that's questionable. Uh, and I would, I would say to that also, let's say, let's say there's a good chance that you're right. There's still a good chance that you're wrong. And I think we need to prepare for that as well. So even if you think that Bitcoin is going to be ultra stable, I don't think that's good enough. I think we also should prepare for uh, the possibility that Bitcoin is not going to be ultra stable. Sorry, is there something you wanted to say about that already, or no? I didn't want to. I didn't want to derail you. Um, okay. So my my thoughts were like, okay. So I I'll continue the conversation. You say if I'm correct or wrong. Using yeah. this uh, this new idea or mention of like um um uh, 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 the the space coin being the gold, and um, you know it will find its natural price. Uh, you first go to the markets first to get uh, a space coin. 
Um, and if the price of the market is too high, then you prepare to burn your own Bitcoin. That process naturally um, arrives at a stable coin that you Maybe. are yeah. able to do as a complementary pair with Bitcoin. And I'll go as far as this. Even if space coin implementation has just one space chain, that could be the complementary that, that could uh, 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 um, uh, deprecate shit like Tether and all of these other stable coins. So a, a good use case for space, uh, space chains would just be a, a stable pair. Yeah, so that um, so I find it very difficult to answer what exactly is going to happen to the value of space coins. Uh, it, that might end up being some kind of stable equilibrium, um, but I find it yeah I find it very tricky. Um, but so there there is an alternate idea that is connected to this, which is where with space coins you burn a Bitcoin to get a space coin. If you also introduce an oracle. And the way you would do that is, is sort of questionable, but let's say, um, let's say you burn one Bitcoin today, then one week from now, you don't get one space coin, but instead you get uh, whatever Bitcoin is worth right now, let's say 50,000 space dollars. And so if you do it in a way where you can get consensus on the Oracle, which is sort of tricky, but the, the way I have it in mind is sort of like, you burn it today, you wait a week, then you get the price one one week from from the moment that you burned, but you wait another week to to get consensus on the price from one week ago. So as long as you have a mechanism to get consensus on the price, you can have the same mechanism where instead of creating one Bitcoin creating one space coin, one Bitcoin creates the amount of uh, dollars that that Bitcoin was worth, oh. uh, and. And you can go one step further and you can do something other than, than dollars that's even more stable, like uh, looking at, uh, uh, um, yeah, I, I'm no economist, but there, there are things that are even more stable than, uh, than dollar price that you could use as sort of a token value. And in this way, you could maybe create a um, stable asset that, like you were saying, is sort of like using Tether without there being an issuer. I see. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So the, the first, the initial thing that comes to my mind is that, that, you know, I think, I think once, oh, all right. I, I think it's almost inevitable that Bitcoin is going to reach like stability. Uh, I, I know you said maybe not. And, mm -hmm. and, and the reason is because it's just going to flip gold. And once it flips gold, it's going to flip property. And once it flips property, there's like, there's nothing else to flip, you know, it's just you know like and at that point it's 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 it just it's just super 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 stable um it's it's super 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 valuable but that doesn't mean it's super 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 stable and so, then, so one argument against mm -hmm. that I, I would give is that um there are always going to be other assets right it's not like there's not going to be anything other than bitcoin and whether value goes into something and flows into something else is partially just the market deciding what has to go up. And the thing is bubbles are natural. So I think what's going to happen with Bitcoin, regardless, like even if it's like ultra high, it's I think there's still gonna be bubbles, right? There's still gonna be bubbles. And, and, and the reason that doesn't happen to fiat 
it's because as soon as there's more demand for, uh, as soon as like, let's say somebody sees the dollar go up in value, right? And they think, hmm, I should hoard my dollars and, and even tell you what, sell all my other assets and hold even more dollars. Well, what is, what is uh, the government gonna do in response? Well, they're gonna print more dollars to offset the increase in, in dollar price because they wanna, you know, they want to create a certain level of inflation. Mm. So the way I look at fiat is as it's inflationary in order to keep it stable. So you get stability, but you get it at the cost of inflation. Uh, and I think we could mimic that within Bitcoin. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I, I, I am not like, again, like I'm not, I'm not saying I'm certain that Bitcoin is not going to be stable, but I'm doubtful enough. And also like, even if Bitcoin is going to be stable, it's going to be 20 years from now. It's not going to be tomorrow. So what are we going to do in the meantime? Um, so yeah. Having said that, a few questions come to mind. Um, so maybe maybe volatility, or we're referring to volatility. Volatility is yeah. not actually a bad thing. Um, you know, like the hum human living systems like myself, like if I don't go to sleep, I'm going to experience, you know, all sorts of yeah. problems. Uh, it, it, my body will become volatile, for example. So, so <laughs> Sure. So, you know, maybe volatility just sort of reflects a living system. And the second thing is... Um, creating a stable coin that is not used and embodied by society doesn't sound like a very good idea. It sounds like you want to create a stable coin which actually is used by society. So something that, that, that you know, people could go down to the, the, the corner and buy, and buy their bread and butter with. It yes. sounds like the, 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 the right thing to to make it yeah if there's no nobody using it it doesn't even work because you need people to right. want the token in the first place so then 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 it's just a matter of these politicians in america specific well because the united states dollars that's the that's the that's you know everybody wants it you know there's a whole military going on there to enforce the the oil back countries to to, to yeah. sell their oil in uh in the u.s dollars you know everybody needs oil everybody needs u.s dollars Sure. So it's just a matter of time before Bitcoin gets into the purses and wallets of all these politicians for them to start saying, okay, let's, let's start making US dollar as this stable trading pair. And now maybe if they start this uh, space chain idea, then, then it's an interesting thing. Really, really interesting. Start to use dollar as a... Um... I mean, in other words, in other words, basically the, the, they, they transfer the US dollar system over to the space chain concept. Uh, but, yeah, well, I mean, but that's a the, huge, the, huge, huge thing, right? Well, I mean, the, the thing I'm thinking of doesn't require government buy-in, right? Like, like, like my point is, this is going to be a decentralized stablecoin mm. where there is no issuer. Um, yes, you need to have some kind of oracle, which I think is sort of a tricky thing. So that's that's not easy, but I think it's doable if you make the oracle part of consensus. So it sort of means that everybody checks the oracle, and it's not just someone who is in charge that everybody listens to. And as long as you have you know enough time, you, you can find a way to get consensus. Like like I, I think it should be doable for people to agree what the price of a dollar was compared to a Bitcoin a week ago, right? As long as you can you, you can you can get consensus over over something like that, um, you could theoretically make it work. And then it's not about uh, governments like wanting to create it. It's about having an asset that, by the way, is still backed by Bitcoin in the sense that. 
in order to create these space dollars, you have to burn Bitcoins, right? right? right. So the value actually goes into the Bitcoin system because everybody who's still holding Bitcoins gets even more value the more Bitcoins leave the system. Um, and so then you, you end up with the, um, these dollars that presumably, and I think this is a very similar argument to Bitcoin, right? Presumably people prefer these decentralized dollars over real dollars. And then even more money exits the system where even merchants or even people that, you know, don't want to flu- their, the price to fluctuate and they're willing, you know, like Bitcoin is still the better asset in terms of how much money am I going to have 10 years from now? But if you only, if you have, you know, high time preference, I guess, or if you need to spend the money soon and you don't want any sudden fluctuations, you're willing to get the asset that inflates, right? That goes down in price over time just to get that stability. And, and that value flows back into Bitcoin. So that's, uh, that's roughly how it works. Yeah. Actually, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm more attracted to this idea now, but, but nice. purely as a stable coin. I think just there's a huge utility just in that. To yeah, the point where, to, just to the point where you might want to even reconsider changing the name Space Chains to like, for example, <gasps> I don't know, stable, you know, like just to get the, the ring across that. I, I would say that, yeah, no, but I would say like, you know, that's the nice thing about space chains, right? It is a base concept on which you can branch off in many different ways. Mm-hmm. So, so the way I look at that is, you know, it's sort of like, it's a layer on top of a layer once you do that, right? It's, it's sort of like space, space chains, but it's like a variance or I don't know how, like how you want to put it, but uh, sure. A flavor. Like, it's a flavor. Yeah. It's a different flavor. And, and like, again, like to my point earlier, right? Like I think all these flavors should be tried out. Like we should just go in every direction we can experiment with it, try it out without the shit going. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, but with the introduction of these covenants, it, it sounds like this can easily be done. Well, yeah. Once we have the covenants, then, uh, uh, then it's uh, easy to create a space chain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you still need to create the whole chain, right? So like, it's oh, not no, like it's uh, not yeah, true, yeah. No, uh, okay, yeah. okay. No, the insurmountable yeah. problem is the is uh, getting the changes into Bitcoin Core. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Everything else is always trivial in in yeah, fair enough. In comparison, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but so I, there is yeah. one more thing that I want to add to this, which yeah. is that. So currently, we've talked about a ceiling, right? So we've talked about how can we make sure that the price doesn't move over a certain amount. So this is either by burning a Bitcoin and creating a space coin or burning a Bitcoin and creating a number of space dollars. Uh, the space dollar can never be worth more than a dollar because once it's worth more than a dollar, more Bitcoins are going to be burned. You agree with me there, right? Yes. Okay. So that's the ceiling. But there is actually a way to also get tokens to exit from the system. And the way we can do that... Define exit. Is... You mean back onto the main chain? No. So I mean, where do burn. we go? Burn. We destroy them. Oh, you More you burn. You burn. Okay. So now we're going. Now we now we're creating a tree, aren't we? We're we're double burning. Yeah. We're we're, we're going <laughs> or for triple. burning Bitcoin. Can, yeah. You yeah. can keep going. Uh, sure. Now, I mean, that's also possible, right? Because you got space chains inside of space chains. Right. And then you have to burn space coins to get the space coins into the next level. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about burning them where they're literally gone. And basically the way this works is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with like a recent change that uh, Ethereum made, EIP1599 or something. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, um, they're, they're burning everything now. 
Yeah. Yeah. Don't burn yeah. 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 They want to create yeah. this uh, artificial uh, number go up. So let's burn yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's stuff that you can say about the way they are doing it. Yeah. But fundamentally, uh, the concept is interesting. And what you're doing with the burning is you're trading off security for token value, essentially, right? Because right. normally the money goes into proof of work and now your proof of work is more secure. Uh, but if you if you were to say that, hey, I am secure enough, or if you were to say the space chain is secure enough, which, you know, that's an open question. Like, I don't want to uh, say that it is secure enough. Um, but let's say you were to say that and you burn the remainder. So instead of all the fees going into the space chain security, a portion of the fees just get burned. So this means there's going to be less space coins. And that drives the price of the space coins up towards the ceiling. So now you have uh, instruments to manipulate downward pressure and upward pressure of the price. Yes, but and one you is can, imperfect. You, and you say again? One is imperfect. The, uh, so the ceiling is fixed. The ceiling is certain, right? <laughs> but but the, the burning goes at a certain rate. And the rate might not be fast enough. So it's not a guarantee. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is what the U.S. government or or these these the, the, you know if they can print the U.S. dollar, they should be able to burn the U.S. dollar too. Whether they do that or not, I don't know. I doubt it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so basically, you just introduce a new instrument there to 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 keep the 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 value of this this space space dollar as constant as possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. The thing is that like um. Now we now we go back into socioeconomic stuff. Like a lot of these uh, these uh, stable coins were built using exchange, exchanges have, have funded it and done it, and all their systems are running on this this on their on their their stable coins at the moment. So it's, mm -hmm. it's almost like it's going to be difficult to to. Uh, you know, is so, there a so the way you know well the way I see that is very similar. Like so a a stable coin currently like UC Tether is sort of like a federated Bitcoin, like even worse because there's one owner. Um, so it's completely centralized, right, in, in that regard. So, so really, this, this sort of thing that you're saying here is like, well, your decentralized dollar is competing with these centralized dollars. Right. And so aren't the centralized dollars going to win? Well, you know, history tells us that somehow decentralized dollars end up being not so ideal. And you know, my personal view is that the things like UC Tether uh, are eventually going to Pop. go away or be restricted or have some kind of. Ah, it, it but if it's to... decentralized, it's good luck in trying to restrict or regulate. Exactly. That. Good luck. I mean, it's the exact same argument as Bitcoin. Like, I would make the argument that if there was a government out there that was completely reliable, um, backed their uh, currency by gold, and never deviated from it then maybe we wouldn't even need Bitcoin, right? Maybe everybody would be using that. But we know for a fact that we cannot depend on governments to actually give us that uh, because the temptation is too big, right? Like you, you put your hand in the cookie jar, you eat the cookies. Um, and this is exactly the same way, but just with a dollar, right? Like it, it is, there is no contest. Uh, the decentralized dollar is better, assuming it works the way we want it to work. Dude, this is actually kind of interesting because, you know, like the, the simple banking, bank account, you had the checking account and then the savings account. This is just like the check account, you know, and the Bitcoin is like the, the savings account. 
Um, you should you should get on a fucking plane to El Salvador, have a word with the president <laughs> over there, and say, look, don't use U.S. dollars, use this shit. <laughs> I got you covered, man. <laughs> like, something like yeah, that. It's not quite ready yet, uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah, it yeah, might, yeah. might be slightly too premature. But yeah, uh, no, no, sure. I'm, I'm yeah. also being a bit tongue in cheek. Um, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. There's another topic I wanted to go into, or rather, you wanted to go into during the mm. discussion that we had earlier on. Now, I'm, I'm, I must admit, I'm rather intimidated and in going venturing into this this territory, and um, <laughs> can you imagine? I, I think I think probably the entire population of the world would be, except for maybe less than ten people, on you know on the fingers of my hand. So, so yeah. I'm going to ask you to please hold my hand through this. I know a little bit. Sure. I don't know too much. So the stage is yours, sir. Can you please introduce us to ZK Snarks? All right. Um, yeah, so this is something, you know, like the reason I, I brought it up to you was, uh, you know, I like recently I've maybe gone on many podcasts, but I went on a lot of podcasts and I talked about the same things over and over. So I sort of was like, okay, well, I know this is a difficult topic, but let's talk about something else. Um, and there is, uh, I don't know if you happen to listen to, I mean, I gave you many links, so I'm not, not expecting anything, but there was a podcast that I did with Eric Wall, um, where it was just him and me talking and we sort of just, you know, paid no attention to the audience and just, you know, talked to each other basically, uh, without, uh, really helping anyone, uh, in terms of understanding it. Um, I love it. Don't, don't, yeah, yeah I like that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I, 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 that's not necessarily what I want to do here, but no, you, you know, there's, it. there's value. Well, there, there's value in that too, I would say. Uh, no, because like, I mean, I, now I don't think it's, it's the right time for it, but because Eric also already knows a lot about it, that was kind mm. of so good. But I mean, I, I guess I could recommend that podcast. So it's on the Unashed podcast. Uh, that's, that's the one I co-host. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about the episode number, but if you search uh, Unashed podcast, Eric Wall, uh, you can find it. It's about like, I think Ethereum is in the title or something. Yeah, actually, I'd like to get um, Eric Wall on. Uh, I think it'd be quite fun. Uh, sure. I, I think I'm still too much of a small potato at this stage. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like it's a. I mean, you'd be surprised. You know, if you ask, uh, people like to talk, so <laughs> give it a try. I'd say. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So, um, so you have these zero knowledge proofs or snarks or whatever you want to call them. Uh, really, like what it is at the end of the day is sort of you are proving a statement to someone without revealing anything about it. So actually a signature can be sort of uh, seen as a zero knowledge proof where I give you my public key and then I prove to you, I know the secret key that is connected to this public key. And really I do this in such a way that nothing about the private key, about the, the secret key uh, leaks here. Um, and so that's zero knowledge, right? I'm proving I know something without telling you anything about it. And so it turns out this concept can be generalized towards any type of computation. And so what you can do is, uh, I guess in uh, one article I wrote about it, um, I gave the example of a chess match. So maybe that's useful to use here, um, where you can, I can give you uh, a, a chess match that has been played out up until a certain move. I can show you the uh, like where where the current state of the chess match, and I can prove to you that the way the state was reached was through valid chess moves. 
because I could have just played some pieces on the board and said like, oh, here, this is this is me and my friend playing and this is where we left off. And I, I just pretended you know, to do something brilliant, but I didn't actually play the game, something like that. Um, so the, the traditional way of proving that I got to that state is to just show you every move, right? If I give you every move and you replay every move, you end up at that state. And now you know like, oh yeah, you played that chess game. Uh, but with these zero knowledge proofs, I can actually give you a proof that says nothing about the moves that I made, nothing about the moves that my opponent made, but it proves to you that we reached this valid state on the board. Is that clear? So, so basically, um, what I understand is, is pretty much asking yes, no questions to this thing. Like, uh, like if there's some sort of process that undergoes, the, the, out, the output could essentially be a yes, no answer, a Boolean yes, no type thing, generally uh, speaking. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess that's what it ends up coming down to regardless. Like, it, it's all a bunch of logic gates. Yeah. At the end of the day, the little circuits. So there's some circuitry yeah. in there. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, like, like at, at the high level, at least, right? Because that's kind of the parts I think. Uh, like it's sort of uh, like people see these zero knowledge proofs as magic, right? And I would like, at least, for the listeners to sort of have it be demystified a little bit, and, and instead of looking at it as like, oh, zero knowledge proofs, they just magically do stuff that we couldn't do before, like. No, it's um, it's very specifically. You move from one state to another state, and the transition has to abide by certain rules, right? In the in the chess match, it's you know how you move sure. the chess pieces. On the Bitcoin blockchain, right? It's the UTXO set at state ten versus the UTXO set at state one hundred. The transitions are all the blocks. So with a zero knowledge proof, you could take out all the blocks and I could give you the UTXS at the state 10. I could give you the UTXS at the state 100 and I could give you zero knowledge proof. And now instead of, you know, a 90 blocks worth of content, you just have two UTXL sets and uh, a one zero knowledge proof, which can be relatively small. So, um, so, so you, yeah. you're proposing using ZK Snarks to solve um, um, uh, the big, uh, blockchain bloat. So again, well, it doesn't solve the bloat. In the, so in this example, it, it solves a so-called IBD, uh, initial block download. So hmm. the um, going from the Genesis state where nobody has any money to the current UTXO set, theoretically, it's not that simple, but theoretically, you could download the UTXO sets, which is a couple of gigabytes. Uh, you could download one single zero knowledge proof. And you could then know that that is the actual valid state of the network. Um, so that would basically mean that the entire history of the Bitcoin blockchain uh, no longer needs to be downloaded by you. Um, and again, I say this is theoretical because the problem is creating the zero knowledge proof is quite expensive. Um, and it depends on sort of like what kind of trickery you use. Uh, but in this case, um, because the, the Bitcoin system and like usually when people use zero knowledge proofs, they create their system in such a way that it's easy to create a proof for it. Uh, but Bitcoin right. was not created like that. Yeah, so, um, so good luck so adapting, uh, creating a proof for that, eh? <laughs> creating the proof is the problem. And, and then verifying the proof, I'm not even sure, but I, I think that would probably be okay. 
I, I don't, I don't know, but uh, I, I think with things like Starks, uh, that kind of stuff is pretty fast. Um, but yeah, just nobody could even possibly create that kind of proof. So that's sort of the, the problem there, but you know, that is a computer science problem that could theoretically be solved in the future. So we might get to a point eventually where it is doable. Uh, and then you could use this for, uh, for Bitcoin consensus to not have to download the entire blockchain, but just go to the late, latest state right away uh, and do it really quickly. So that would be cool. And interestingly, that would not be a consensus change. Although, you know, you could, I guess you make different trust assumptions because now you assume that the zero knowledge proof is valid. Like, like I mean, the proof proves that it's valid, but if there's a bug in the system itself, you know, then you might have some kind of consensus issue. Uh, but yeah, so that would be kind of a nice thing to do. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, and, and so this is the, the thing that you, are you looking at studying this? Are you looking at, um, um, I have studied it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess one thing, uh, that's worth mentioning here is so, yeah. So the, the complexity, right. Like that, I just mentioned, like it's new, it's complex. So for Bitcoin, it's really like not something that I think would be wise to add today. Um, because well, I think the IBD thing might be okay because it's it's sort of like not a consensus change, right? And and there's always a fallback. There's always a fallback. Yeah, there's always actual, a fallback, and yeah. um, and like people can choose to do it, and it doesn't really affect anyone else. Sure. Um, so that kind of thing might be something that we may someday see in Bitcoin, uh, although yeah, not anytime soon. Like I said, it's there's it's no way fast enough yet. Um, and yeah, the way a lot of these other systems introduce. Yeah, are introduced. Like one of the issues is there's a lot of uh, uh, snarks or zero knowledge proofs with um, trusted setups. So what that means is that the basically, you mean? Sorry, yeah. Well, yeah, they do a ceremony, or uh, yeah, sometimes it's, it's worse than that even. But you're you're trusting that some group of people initially um, had some kind of secret that they threw away, and if they didn't throw it away, then the entire system is bogus, and they can cheat, they can inflate, they can break any rule they want. So this is why um, it touches it Zcash. Uh, yeah, so Zcash had that. Uh, yeah, it's it's really uh, yeah, it's a it's a big questionable thing, right? Because sure, you can say like, okay, well, if you yourself participated in the ceremony, okay, you know that it's safe. Uh, then maybe if a friend of yours participated, okay, you can trust the friend. Uh, but let's say 50 years from now, if we're talking about actual, you know, uh, store of value money, 50 years from now, nobody's going to know anyone who was even involved with that or what their reputation was or whether they were reliable. Um, and so like the, yeah, the trust there is just very problematic. Uh, but, you know, that's also, I think, a problem that's solved by time. Uh, they're already uh, reasonably good zero knowledge proof systems without trusted setup. Uh, again, Starks is an example of that. Um, so, you know, it doesn't have to be that way, mm. um, but that is something, you know, we see with some of these very efficient as your knowledge proofs, they tend to make this trade off. So that's, that's sort of unfortunate. Um, so then I think one thing I, I so I, I want to address here is that people tend to think of zero knowledge proofs as this great scaling solution. Right? They, they look at it in uh, Ethereum and they say, wow, Ethereum is getting 100x scaling through uh, zero knowledge proofs. We should get that for Bitcoin. We also want 100x scaling in Bitcoin at no cost. Uh, but that is just simply not true. 
So the way it works in Bitcoin is, well, let's see, where do I want to start? Okay, so I gave you the example earlier of going from block 10 to block 100. Right. But within every block, if you just want to follow consensus block by block, there's also data that you can convert to zero-knowledge proof. And the data that you can convert is basically, so you have a UTXO, you have an unspent output that's being spent, and then another output is being created, right? So the input gets spent, goes away, and the output is the new, uh, uh, is the new state, basically. And then in between, you have the so-called witness data. So that's, for instance, the signature, right, in Bitcoin, yes. where... If I send you some money, I put the signature on a transaction. The signature is the proof that there was an output that was mine, and now I want it to be yours. Right. So we can take all the state transitions of every input and output, and we can take them out, and we can put a zero-knowledge proof there instead. And so what that would do is it would theoretically um, take out all the signature data, all the um, script data, out of Bitcoin and just replace them with a single small bit of data. I argue, uh, would it be small? Uh, yeah, so so that can be relatively small uh, relative yeah. to the actual data that you're compressing. Um, and also like, you know, with this in mind, I'm sort of talking about like the theoretical, like the perfect zero knowledge proof, let's say. Okay, right? okay. So the, the, the unknown, it hasn't been discovered just yet, right? I mean, there there are systems that, probably can reasonably be implemented today, but there are different trade-offs that are maybe all not perfect. But those are all details that sort of for this high-level conversation, I don't really uh, want to address. Okay. Um, so the point here is that the data that you're compressing is the witness data. And the witness data inside of a Bitcoin block is 50% roughly of, of the block size. So really the amount of space that you can theoretically save is half, half the Bitcoin block. And that's nowhere near the 100x number that uh, Ethereum in Ethereum is being mentioned. And so the reason this is so different is, well, there are two things. So the first thing is uh, in these Ethereum uh, zero knowledge proof systems, the ZK sync um, systems, they have address reuse. So instead of when I send some Bitcoins to you, you give me an address and the address is a unique 32-byte number. If instead you just use a single address and everybody just sends to that address, then now I can refer to it more cheaply. I can just say like, oh, you have address number 15 in a list, right? So that is, goes from 32 bytes to, I don't know, four bytes, whatever, whatever you want. Um, and so that's one way of doing it, but now you introduce uh, you know, privacy issues where you no longer have these, these different uh, inputs and outputs. And maybe there are ways with zero knowledge proofs to um, make that private enough so that no longer is an issue, uh, but that would sort of have to be figured out first before you can, I, I think you can make that, that trade-off. Um, but then the second and the more uh, egregious trade-off that is being made in Ethereum in Ethereum, you have a block size that depends on calculations and the amount of space usage in the block. But in Ethereum, the calculation side of things are very expensive. So if you have an Ethereum block, usually it's not that big 
because the data that is being put in also involves calculations and the calculations are expensive. And so that hits a block size limit for Ethereum. But now what we're doing is we're replacing all these calculations with a, a zero knowledge proof. And the zero knowledge proof actually on the calculation side is quite efficient. So, so for Bitcoin, that doesn't really matter because the calculations aren't really the, um, the, the bottleneck. Um, but for Ethereum, that might be like kind of a different story, right? So, so okay, they so are you, already more useful there. Yeah. So you're basically saying there's massive diminishing returns that, that, that arise from attempting to introduce this ZK snark into Bitcoin. Yes. Well, there, there's not. So it, it just, as a maximum, it can save 50% of the, the block space. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, right? 50% right. is pretty good. But considering the amount of trade-offs you have to make to put it in in the first place, uh, that really doesn't seem like a good trade-off. Okay. Um, and I want to emphasize that the 100x number is not correct because the way it works in Ethereum is... Yeah all the calculations are being taken out. And instead, you now the block can be much bigger in terms of bandwidth because you can either fill a block with lots of data and do no calculations, or you can fill a block that's much smaller, but also has calculations. So really what well, it ends up being- the results of the calculations, it, you mean? Um, so well, the, the block itself, right? So okay, let's okay, say you I have understand. little Okay, so, so, so basically yeah. it's got code. It's got, it's got the instructions on how to transform the data. Uh, yeah, so so it's like you have code, right? And you have to process every line of code, right? And some uh, some instructions are more expensive than others. Sure. So you can only fit this many lines of code into yes. the block yes. before your computations become too complex. Yes. Now, if you have if you put in lines of code that actually don't have to be executed, but they just have to be I don't know, you just read read them or something. Read Constance. read once and that's enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, now you can fit much more data into the block. So what ends up happening is that in Ethereum, if everybody switches to zero knowledge proofs, uh, and that's the only thing being used, now you have these huge blocks. So it's basically a, um, it's a block size increase that nobody in the Ethereum camp is talking about, where these blocks get bigger and bigger, the more these zero knowledge proofs are being used. Uh, and that wasn't a problem before because all these calculations made sure that the, the bandwidth use didn't really go out of, you know, uh, crazy. Uh, but now, uh, in, in theory, uh, yeah, it just creates even more, uh, more of a centralization issue for Ethereum, and it makes it even more impossible to run a full node and get all the data. Um, so yeah, that's the trade-off they make, and that's why it's 100x, uh, because, yeah, now, now can they, they can fill the block with uh, lots of data that needs no computation. Yeah, so I mean, like it's 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 hard enough. Uh, back in the day, I, I tried to run a an Ethereum node. Uh, it was it was just ridiculously complicated, sure. yeah. ridiculously complicated. So now, you know what? You're gonna yeah. make it even harder now. Well, I mean, it's a trade off, right? Because like, yeah. it is true that for Ethereum, uh, the computation side of things was very expensive, and that is something that Snarks can solve. These zero knowledge right. can solve. Um, but now you have the other problem, which is bandwidth, which at least for yeah. Bitcoin has always been the bottleneck. And I would argue like, yeah, that's basically just always the bottleneck. So Don't, no, uh, I mean, is it, yeah. is it really that bad? Is it really that bad that I just download, uh, you know, a couple of days worth of, uh, I'm in Hong Kong, I suppose, but I'm a couple of days worth of, 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 of 
of gigabytes downloading. It's not that bad. If you um, look, if I compare yeah. it to the shit coins, it's it's insanely good. The engineering yeah. is extremely good. If I compare it to like you know, even like a legacy systems like the US dollar, it's just it's 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 a in a class of its own. And I, I think people are. I think people are giving Bitcoin unnecessary due, uh, unnecessary flack. It's just so good. It's really yeah. good. And look, I mean, I don't like, I don't have a strong stance on what the block size should be, right? So, yeah. so for me, it's like, yeah, maybe I would a four make it megabyte. Less, I'd like it less. <laughs> um, it's too late. Yeah, now. I mean, well, like, but but like, you know, it's it's sort of like, it just it doesn't doesn't solve very much, right? If you get it like. Okay, so maybe Bitcoin could be four times bigger than it is today, but you're still like hitting fundamental scaling issues. Like a, a quadrupling of block size really is nothing, right? You go from 10 transactions per second to 40 transactions per second. It's still nothing. So, oh no, it, I think it's I think, not I th- very interesting. Oh no, no, I'm talking about the IBD stuff. Um, okay. I don't think I don't think it's that bad. Um, okay, oh, yes, talking about well, blocks. Yeah. Block. Sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, well, for IBD, it's like. Uh, yeah, it's. I don't think it's that bad, really. I mean, if well, you compare it to other systems out there, it's. Yeah. It's really oh, yeah. Compared good. to other systems, it's, it's much better, of it's, course. It's just, no, it's, no, that's definitely true. Yeah. Beat it. Yeah. I mean, now we now let's compare it to le- with the rest of the legacy systems. It's 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 best of breed, and it's not that hard. You just plug it in, and you fucking wait a few days. Sure, maybe maybe twenty years from now, you wait a few weeks, even a few yeah. weeks. So what? So what? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it is still one of those things, right? Like, ideally, we want people to just be able to do it within a half a day and just be synced up like that. Um, yeah, so, okay. So that now, now we come down to the argument of, like, being able to do decentralized, you know, make it more decentralizable. Well, I, I think mainly you don't want it to go up over time, right? So whatever the number is that you think is acceptable, whether it's half a day or whether it's a week, you don't want every year for that number to double, right? So as long as it's some is within some acceptable frame and the frame doesn't get worse, uh, I think that can be okay. Uh, and what is acceptable, like even that, right? That becomes like kind of like a 4X block size increase kind of thing, where it's just not very interesting whether it takes one day or four days. It's just like, it's a number, you have to pick some kind of location, but the uh, whether or not that number goes up, right? Quadratically over time, <laughs> like that's the kind of thing that you don't want. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I, 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 although I do, I do like um, uh, Luke Dash Jr.'s idea. It was just like, just I think it was 32K. He was arguing for 32K. Oh, no, 300K. Sorry, 300, 300K. Yeah, 300 and, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I did those calculations as well, actually. And what it comes down to was uh, Luke was just saying like, look, currently at the time he said that, right? Not, right. not today. Um, every year it takes longer and longer to validate the entire history and we don't want that and if we if we want to scale it back to the point where that doesn't happen blocks have to be 300k that was his argument and for me like that's just not important enough because like the way at least for me calculating it out roughly what would happen is that okay one year from now it's going to take longer to do ibd next year it's also going to take longer but then 
eventually, once you get like 10 years from now, it's going to get shorter again because computers get better over time, right? So it's sort of like this curve where, okay, IBD gets a little more expensive, but then it gets cheaper again. And do we really not want to have this bump, right? Uh, and, and just go like this, like he wanted this. And for me, it's like, okay, well, it's fine if it goes like this. So what? Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's one of those things where like, it's not that he's not theoretically right. It's just, it doesn't matter enough for us to go and change a, a setting. Uh, that's what I'd say. I suppose that really depends against what's the threat, threat model. Like, you sure. know, like how aggressive is the state? at rooting out these individual nodes. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I, I, that's also true, but like it's, I think it's our, like we need we need order of magnitude changes, right? Like yeah. if we're gonna tweak tiny variables to make something slightly better or slightly worse, uh, it's just, it, it's not worth the time and effort. It, it's not that there, there's probably a better number, right? Probably sure. the current block size is not the perfect number that we, you know, yeah. Satoshi was a genius for figuring it out years ago, no. Uh, you know, he picked a number and here we are. Uh, and it's good enough. <laughs> he pulled it out of his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And so it's, it's you... funny. Uh, yeah. There, there was a guy who actually tweeted that to me, uh, just randomly said, oh, Satoshi was such a genius. I don't even know what was about Blockside, but something like, he was such a genius for knowing exactly what limit to pick. Uh, and um, I, I, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you know Rusty Russell's uh, uh Twitter account where I think he's like yeah he's the guy in Lightning he works with Blockstream yeah no but he, he's got this he's got this joke uh, parody account like stuff uh, Bitcoiners say or something okay uh, so it's just, it's just a parody account where he just takes the most ridiculous things that Bitcoiners have said and uh, <laughs> and and retweets it and just like you know things like this where it's like it's oh Satoshi like- was so brilliant for knowing everything of course. <laughs> It's like, I suppose yeah, it's so the equivalent like, of like all stuff that hack and use people say or something. something yeah, yeah, like exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just like, you know, <laughs> the, 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 a little bit too uh, Satoshi worshipping uh, Bitcoiners. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, like I, 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 I sent it to Rusty, but then uh, the guy ended up deleting his, uh, <laughs> his post. So I was like, okay, well, too bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny. Screenshot, should have taken this. Uh, yeah, I should have. Yeah. Uh, 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 wait, wait a second. We've already discussed all that. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, um, so, do yeah. any do you see any other places that zk snarks can be sort of shimmed in or used to improve Bitcoin in any yeah. way? Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to add that connects to your question is that people also confuse the zk uh, snarks with basically advanced smart contracts. Oh, that's a mistake. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not the same thing, right? It, the, the zero knowledge proof is just take some witness data and prove it more succinctly. And the thing that you're proving is maybe an advanced smart contract and you need a language for that. So first you need a language, then you take the uh, zero knowledge proofs, the snark to compress whatever that language is. Um, so it's not a simple matter of, oh, let's add zero knowledge proofs to Bitcoin. Uh, you need a smart contracting language and then you need to add support for zero knowledge proofs. And then you have something useful. And so the way you could get that into Bitcoin is possibly through something called simplicity, 
I don't know how much you know about that's it. That's the block, but that's the that's the Adam back uh, the block stream. Right. Um, uh, and it's and it's a rather. It's, I think it's a formally verified language at this point now, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It, it looks actually quite interesting. I haven't gone that deep into it because I'm just so sick yeah. to death of fucking smart contracts. <laughs> yeah. But but so, please go, go, maybe I, maybe I, I'm jaded and and I, no no I mean that's a let me try so, to clean I mean, my canvas, give you something yeah. white to work with. Go for it. It's a whole other topic, I guess, but uh, I think it's uh, it's very it has a lot of potential and it's very interesting, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, what's special seeing... about simplicity. So what's special about it is basically that it's smart contracts done right for blockchains. So it, it does a bunch of really smart things, where uh, you know you already said it's uh, formally verifiable, so that's uh, a big advantage. Uh, and so you have this very simple language that's very simple to reason about, and you know exactly you can you can predict ahead of time how much it's going to cost to run through the script. So you have like because with Ethereum you have this problem where depending on the state of the <clears throat> previous transactions and just previous things that happen on the on the blockchain, it might cost more or it might cost less to execute your transaction. And so because they can't predict ahead of time how much it's going to cost, you have this gas thing where you just have to overshoot it and then you have to hope uh, that it's enough. Because if it's not enough, then all your gas gets taken and your transaction didn't even execute. Um, and so this is not a problem with um, a simplicity. Although I guess, you know, to play devil's advocate a little, uh, you could say like they sort of, um, it's not the most efficient language. Right, so they sacrifice some efficiency in order to make it predictable. Uh, okay, but, you mean you mean you mean total? Uh, what do you? Sorry, how do you mean total? Oh, total. Total means that it's guaranteed to execute to completion. So, is it a total um, language? Okay, so in other words, how does yes. that does simplicity? How does simplicity solve this the halting problem? Well, I mean, it, it's still like there's always a limit, right? Because you have a block size limit, so your transaction can like your the only you get you can't execute more than what fits inside of a single block, right? So there's always a limit. Um, so it's never Turing complete in that sense, right? Um, wait, wait a second, it's never Turing complete in that sense. No, no, no. The the, the language. Okay, so I, I'm assuming. Look, a total language is not a Turing yeah. complete language. Okay. Uh, yeah. So therefore, some problems are extremely difficult to express in a total language. Um, but in a Turing complete language, it, it, you can collapse it down to a, just a few lines of code um, and you can do some extremely yeah. uh, complicated stuff. So, oh, I see what you mean. So by being a total language, you uh, uh, the, the complexity, uh, and you've only got a certain block size, you're naturally going to be compressed Oh, that that's interesting. I like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I follow. I'm following you, but, but oh, 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 least, oh, sorry. Oh, so yeah. what? Okay, so so as I mentioned, so to, a, yeah. a, a total language is guaranteed to execute to completion, right? So yeah. certain uh, uh, things are are very easy to express in, in in a total language, but when you go closer to um, like a Turing level, like a university describable uh, describing all right. And, yeah, I mean, and, and, yeah, and a Turing complete language, uh, certain problems become trivial to express, for example, like looping forever mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, uh, so if, if, but you don't know how long it's going to take to execute. That's, that's correct. That, so now we got yeah. the halting problem. We don't know okay. when this thing is going to end. Yeah. So, so you want to, so by having a total language, you know, very sure that this language will complete, uh, complete the execution. Yeah. So now yeah. okay. when you brought in the block size, I, I, I questioned you, I said, oh, why? It mm. doesn't matter. You can have, you can have, if simplicity were a Turing complete language, it doesn't matter about block size. You just give me a few bytes and I'll write some code that'll fucking <laughs> stall your blockchain forever, right? So huh. so in this case, and 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 in this case, yeah. So by having a block size, you're limited to the certain uh yeah. set of uh problems that can be described. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, I mean, if you had like an infinite loop, the cost of that transaction would be infinite, right? So you wouldn't be able to pay for it, basically. No, I don't. <laughs> like think there, there, I don't think you'd be able yeah. to describe the concept of an infinite loop in a total language. There no, might, no. I mean, uh, yeah. I forgot. Well, no, Idris has Idris. Oh wait, actually, Idris. Idris is a total language, but I forgot how it how it implements this concept of a uh, of of a uh, of an infinite loop. I think they actually introduced the concept of gas for some reason. I don't know why. Anyway, it's, my memory's fading. It was a few yeah. years ago since I got into Idris. Oh, yeah, what a, so, what so a anyway, tangent. Oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> let's get back onto topic with, sure, with yeah. simplicity. Go ahead. So the, the interesting thing that they do is they take, um, you can actually take the simplicity language and you can create C code that is equivalent to what is written in simplicity. And you can prove that it's equivalent. Yes. But the C code runs much faster. Oh, I see. So even though you're expressing everything within the simplicity language, you can basically soft fork in speed ups. So oh, you would, for instance, right. have a SHA-256 uh, function, right? Where you hash something. And then running that inside of simplicity would be pretty slow. But then you basically, because the way the code is sort of like, basically it's a hash within like a DAC tree that's then instead of running that simplicity code within the, within the hash, you replace it with the C code and now you run it much faster. And so you have this language that can describe everything, but it's not cheap. And then you have this verifiable C code that is exactly equivalent to it. So whatever you, so the so introducing this never introduces a risk because you know you're not changing anything about the capacity of the system. What the system can do remains the same. You're just speeding it up by creating this this equivalent code. So I have a few questions regarding that. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so you would first describe this this. Let's say it's a SHA two five six. Um, you'd first describe it in simplicity. And yeah. then would would uh, would it automatically generate the C code for that, or would a human? No. Okay, human yeah. would would extend the the the, the runtime um, to incorporate this, and then and then what what determines that the the thing is equivalent? That what, um, I mean, so so somebody's yeah. going to run this this simplicity yeah. code, and then it's going to see ah, this function name is the SHA two five six. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to execute the simplicity code. I know that there's an equivalent in, in uh, a, a, yeah. C, a C uh, function over here, a C in this C binary over here. Mm -hmm. um, I'd rather call that. How yeah. does it know to do that? How does it know to run the C code, or how does it yes. know that it's equivalent? 
Okay. Uh, well, um, I suppose both. Yeah. So, well, how? Yeah, I like. I don't know the. Uh, uh, I don't know enough about like prove verifiably proving that one code is the same as the other code. Right. Uh, so I couldn't tell you that. Uh, but let's just assume that that's true. So the the other okay. question uh, is that that's basically a soft fork because what you have to do is um, the simplicity code still requires a bunch of execution. And then people who have the C code, they can do that faster, but you still have to pay for, you have to pay for it as if it's simplicity code. Oh, I see. Yeah, because Ooh, you can't assume okay, that cool. everybody has the C code unless you soft fork it in. So that's basically what you end up doing is you create soft forks for the C code that replaces the simplicity code. And now you can make that simplicity code cheaper on the Bitcoin blockchain because it costs people less efforts to execute. And oh, that's quite nice. And you're still, and you're still yeah. able to earn the fees from that. So you're actually motivating the miners to actually say, well, fuck, I want to I want to own a software. Got to update the latest, uh, we can call them built-ins, uh, yeah. language built-ins. Well, well ev everybody would like naturally be incentivized to just take all the C code that they can yeah. possibly get, right? Because it's just faster. Um, but the question is more like, how do you reach consensus over what it's going to cost to now execute that function? And, and that's something you still need consensus over. Uh, so that requires software. But the nice thing is, the, like the thing about software is you need consensus, right? You need to change something. You need to, everybody to agree that the thing needs to change. Yes. And here, there is no question about that. Uh, there is no reason not to run the C code instead of the, uh, the simplicity code. <laughs> so you can get consensus on the software very easily, theoretically. Yes. Yeah, it's like yeah. moving from the landline to the mobile phone, right? It's like, duh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, like this is not my thing. I just think it's very cool. Uh, maybe Adam Beck, if he happens to listen to it, he can correct me if there's anything I said that was incorrect. Uh, but I'm very excited about uh, the project. And uh, another friend of mine, Sanket, works on uh, works on it too. Uh, so yeah, just uh, it's a cool project. Uh, I think it's the right way to go about doing smart contracts. And, you know, whether or not it's actually going to make it into Bitcoin, I hope it will, but who knows? Um, but it would be kind of a good way. And actually kind of the thing that we were talking about, right, is the zero knowledge proofs, which almost everyone Um, So how does that relate? Well, you could have a uh, Stark um, or any kind of zero knowledge proof uh, simplicity script that you then, oh. you know, create in C and so make it like viable because an act, like writing it out in, in simplicity code would just be way too much. Um, and then you basically have support for zero knowledge proofs within this smart contracting language that could potentially make its way into Bitcoin at some point in the future. Okay, now that we've got that, under the assumption that those two conditions are met, that uh, you have a, a ZK smart implementation in, in simplicity and simplicity is a soft forked, soft forked into Bitcoin, um, what can you do with uh, the ZK snark on this smart contract? Uh, yeah. with some simplicity. What, what, what doors does it open? <laughs> yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. Um, so I, I think that's very difficult to answer um, because <clears throat> once you get to that point, um, you sort of already have a, um, you already have an expressive smart contracting language in Bitcoin at that point. So you can already do everything at that point inside of Bitcoin. But you, it might still be cheaper to have the uh, extension block model of having a um, a separate chain which 
has um, so so it's just let, let's say it's a second Bitcoin, right? But it's made in such a way that it's suitable for zero knowledge proofs, and then you can do your transactions inside of the second chain, and then the second chain gets committed into the Bitcoin blockchain, and this is basically zk sync that I'm describing. Um, and what that does is without having zero knowledge proofs on layer one, which you could theoretically also do, right? So you could just take the Bitcoin block and replace all the witness data with a zero knowledge proof. But when you do that, you introduce some issues such as, well, who creates a zero knowledge proof? Is this gonna lead to minor centralization? Um, is this going to make block times uh, slower because, um, well, I guess it's the creation of the block that might get slower. So anyway, there, there, there are issues there. Um, that you could kind of circumvent by doing it as an extension block. And I very specifically say extension block, and that's important because people have been calling um, these uh, ZK sync uh, sidechains um, sidechains, <laughs> but they're, they're not sidechains in the sense that all the data is still verified and it's still on chain. So you put all the data on chain, but where there used to be witness data, there's now a zero knowledge proof. And everybody validates the zero knowledge proof and the non-witness data. So the, the data, basically which inputs and outputs, which inputs get spent, which outputs get created. That still has to go onto the Bitcoin blockchain or on the Ethereum blockchain in the case of CK Sync. Um, and everybody has to validate that. So I don't know if you know the exact difference between uh, extension block. Uh, like, Do you know what an extension block is or should I just explain I it in general as well? Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of an old concept. So just very broadly speaking, the concept is within Bitcoin, you can create a soft fork that creates another chain inside of Bitcoin. So you put a hash there mm -hmm. and the hash points to another block. And now everybody just downloads both blocks. So, so this is a way to create a block size increase as a soft fork, essentially. Oh, I see. And then everybody can just move their Bitcoins over to this other chain and move them back. And then from the perspective of old nodes, it's just like you're freezing your coins and then they're being unfrozen again by anyone, right? That's what it looks like from, from the perspective of old, old nodes. And so this extension block process, while interesting, has been kind of considered as a, sort of a, an indecent soft fork because you increase the amount of computation that uh, the network, you know, you, you introduce something like a block size increase basically without people actually uh, agreeing to it. Um, and you do it in such a way that the backwards compatibility is less than ideal because you don't really see what happens on this extension block side of things. I, I think, you know, it's something, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's, it's something you should absolutely never do, um, but it's been somewhat controversial. And, I will say that's not really the case here because the the extension block in this case fits within the limits of the Bitcoin Bitcoin block or Ethereum block, right? So so it's it's more of instead of having one block and then another block, it's having one block and then inside of it you have another block. So the limit stays the same, and this block can be more efficient because it uses zero knowledge proofs. Uh, but I call it an extension block because it's everybody is is downloading and validating the block because it's inside of the, the larger block. Oh, hell, I say fair game. I mean, we used to packet, sure. uh, packetizing stuff, you know, packets <laughs> within packets within packets. It's a very normal yeah. computer science-y topic, you know? So yeah. Let's not as be long as no, yeah. <laughs> I know the way I look at it is like, as long as nobody gets disadvantaged, right? And that's like when we create a software for Bitcoin, 
it always we're always making sure that everything that used to work still works. Yeah. And so old nodes are not being thrown off the network or suddenly becoming second class citizens. The the main the main issue here is 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 agreeing to the contracts, not violating your contracts. The, the, the contracts means that, you know, we're not going to break something. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yeah. If, as long as you don't do that, then, then, then the system can progress and advance. And actually you want to do that because a system that continuously breaks contracts is something that you just cannot rely on. You cannot build no. the next, yeah. you know, system of the next economic system. Um, yeah. On, on but, a flaky. But you're descri- yeah. Sorry. Yeah. What, what you're describing here is like a hard fork, right? But there are also soft forks that can be uh, like, for instance, to give you an example is we could decide to be like, well, you know what? Satoshi is too rich. Let's take all his 1 million points and just censor them. And we're not breaking any rules, right? We create a soft fork where Satoshi can no longer spend his coins. And um, that's, that's like, that's what we call an evil soft fork, right? Where it's like, yeah, totally you're evil. not breaking that's, any rules. Totally evil. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so just just to point out, it's not just about breaking rules. That's that's what I want to say. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Okay. So, does that sort of wrap up where else um, one can include uh, zk snarks in potentially include zk snarks into Bitcoin, or do you have any other most, subjects? Yeah, I, I think that's the most logical uh, use case to do something like that. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm not even sure where else to fit in these zero knowledge okay. groups. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, it also should be said like if you add them to layer one, uh, if you add them just to the base blockchain, and again, you know, there are reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. Uh, but then it also stops making sense to do it as an extension block. So Indeed. it's sort of kind yeah. of a way of skirting around uh, an issue basically by just making it optional and opt in. Yeah. So if we've sort of like sort of uh, concluded on the on the zk snark do you have any other areas um or ideas you want to knock around or want to bring up or discuss um um well there's one thing i guess that you mentioned uh that hasn't come up yet which is uh, you asked me about the zendu protocol oh that's recall. right that's right yeah. the zendu yeah okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the story there so. what's the story yeah. there so um so what we've been talking about thus far is that these uh, zero-knowledge proofs have, um, in order to create them within a blockchain, you have to do it as an extension block where all the data still has to go inside of the chain. Yeah. And Zendu actually came up with a way to avoid having to put all the data on chain, which is interesting. Um, I, it's not necessarily perfect, but it was something that was novel to me. And, uh, you know, this also kind of goes back to what we've been talking about. Like, I don't, like, I think most of these altcoins are just nonsense and they're useless and, and worthless. But every now and then something pops up that there's an interesting concept there. So with Zendu, it's the same story where Zendu is an altcoin. Uh, I don't even know exactly, like, they have, like, two chains and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, it's confusing to me. I don't care. I'm not interested. Uh, but I have to give them credit for coming up with something that was, at least to me, novel. And I do think someone linked me to a paper of some prior arts, like, so maybe even their idea is not, not like, it's not them that came up with it, but anyway, I don't really care. It's an interesting concept. So what they do is um, basically the, the issue that you have and the reason why all the data needs to go onto the main chain when you create one of these 
uh, zero knowledge chains um, is that you um, have a data availability issue where if you only prove, so to go back to the chess analogy, right? What you can do is I can, I can give you a hash of uh, a, uh, the state of the chessboard. And I can prove that the hash is indeed the state of a, of a, of a chessboard. But if I'd never gave you the chessboard, you cannot continue playing the game because you don't know where all the pieces are. And roughly, you have the same problem. Uh, if you don't reveal the chessboard, uh, and that's why all the non-witness data, as I called it, all, all the, the new outputs that are being created need to go onto the main chain because otherwise you, you, can't, you can't say Absolutely. like, hey, yes. I had some coins here. You only have a hash. You know, the hash is valid, but you don't know what's inside of it. So you can never say like, I had some coins. You can yeah. prove it to no one. Um, so the way the Zendu protocol tries to solve that is they do two things. So the first thing is that when, let's say, a chess piece hasn't moved or when a UTXO hasn't been spent, <clears throat> normally what happens is you have a Merkle tree and you have a hash, right? And then something changes in the tree and now you have a, a new, uh, a new uh, hash with a, with a new uh, tree. And the old, let's say you had a UTXO in the first tree, it still exists in the second tree. But if you have the proof for the first Merkle tree, you don't have the proof for the second Merkle tree, you can't prove that you have the coins now, right? right. Do you understand the problem or, uh, or should I like- No, keep going, keep going, keep going. Okay. So I'll just rephrase it just to be certain okay. because it is a little confusing. My point is you have a Merkle tree, you have a UTXO in the tree and you have, uh, you have some hashes that point to it. Right. So you can prove that your transaction is in there. Yes. Now the state of the tree gets updated. So we go from state one to state two. Yeah. And one transaction here, not your transaction, but somebody else's transaction changed. So the tree has changed. The tree has changed. So your proof has changed. So right. you can't use your old proof for the new state. Right. And so the way they solve it is through a bit field. So basically, let's say it's a tree of four transactions. And your transaction is the first one. And the transaction that changed is the fourth one. So when they update the state from the first hash to the second hash, yes. they just also show 0001, meaning oh. the fourth transaction changed. Oh. And the first transaction didn't change. Okay. And so now you can use the proof and with a zero knowledge proof, you actually prove that that, that bit field is correct, right? So you know yeah. that 0001 is, is indeed correct. So the first three uh, outputs didn't change and the fourth output did change. Everybody can verify that. So that's also part now, of the, Z, uh, the zero knowledge proof? Uh, that, that is part of the zero knowledge proof to, to prove that without any data that the tree got updated correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now what you have is your old proof is still valid because even though now you have the new sure. state, you know the first transaction in the new state didn't change. So if you get to the first transaction in an older state and you know it didn't change, it's also applicable to the new state. Okay. Yeah. So basically it's almost like a relativity point to kind of thing. I, 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 the way I understand it, I, the way I'm going to bastardize this, but you can see a tree state, uh, 
depending on who's looking at this particular state will have different uh, proofs, but it's, it's, it's just a relative point of view from the perspective of looking at your particular branches of, of, um, um, of, of, of changes. It's just relative. relative. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> I, I, uh, uh, not, not completely, but uh, as long as you understand, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> okay. All right. It's a new concept. Yeah. It still needs to be distilled. So sure. I'm able to express it in words. I think you did a very oh, good job yeah. of expressing that, by the way. Keep going. <laughs> great. Great. Okay. So, so the point here is just that when we update the state, if your transaction didn't get updated, you don't need to get a new proof. Yes. Right. That's, that's the goal here. That's right. That's fine. I, yeah, I got um, that. So, so what that means is you need to only receive one proof once. Yeah. And then you're you're golden, right? Yeah. As long as you don't spend your UTXL, uh, yeah. you 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 have a proof. It's gonna be valid forever. Right. Um. So, the only question is, well, what if they don't give you the proof, right? Because the whole the goal here is like they just put the hash there, they put the bit field there, and they hand you a proof, and, and now you're good. And even, even though the state updates, you have your proof, you're happy. But what if they never sent you the proof in the first place? Hmm. So in order to prevent that, there's basically kind of a challenge response protocol where you go on chain and you say like, hey, give me my proof. I didn't receive my proof. And then they have to respond and say, okay, here you go, here's your proof. And if they don't respond and they don't give you your proof, the basically the state reverts to prior to that challenge response period. And now- Wait, okay, keep going. Yeah. So, so all the state updates that happened get, get canceled and you go all the way back to oh, shit. Okay. when they stopped giving you the proof that you asked for on chain through the challenge response protocol. So does that revert the state of everybody on the chain? Yes, and, and what I would argue is that the state never transitioned in the first place. Yeah, right? yeah. The state just yeah, was the, there. Yeah, the condition hasn't been... Yes. All, all, all the rules have not passed to go to the next state. Yeah. So, so it's just so, a, a rule add. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, the, so, the, um, so specifically, the challenge response protocol makes sure that either you get your proof or you go back to a state where um, you didn't need you the had, proof. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, you had a proof or like, like let's say in this case, it's me sending you a transaction, you need the proof. Now uh -huh. you didn't get the proof. Now okay. I have the money again and you never had the money. Is, is this, okay, what problem are we solving here uh, uh, from a so high the, level? Is this the longest yeah. chain? No, so so, so the, the, the problem we're solving here is we want to avoid putting all the outputs on the Bitcoin blockchain. Okay. Fine. So okay. that's the thing, right? Yeah. So we don't put it on the chain and only when you don't receive it, you have to kind of on-chain challenge them to, to give it to you. Sure. But then as long as they do give it to you, you never have to do that. So right, it's sort right, of like right. a uh, valid, like an assumption where as long as everybody behaves, everything's fine. Yeah. Okay. And so the argument that you were referring to that I got into on Twitter was I was arguing with one of their... Um, researchers, I guess, I, I don't even know, but, but somebody involved in the project. And, um, and a nice guy, by the way, he was helpful, but we disagreed on uh, the point of the finality here. So what I was just saying is like, look, if you have a challenge response protocol and it takes two to four hours, which I think is even short, but okay, um, then really you don't have consensus until the two to four hours are over. It's only when you you go through that and now you go to the next two to four hour period 
that you have another you have another block, so to speak. Right. So even though it seems to work and it's sort of an interesting protocol, uh, it is a very slow protocol of which consensus is as slow as the challenge response period. So okay, does this coin also have the longest chain principle? So well, the thing here is that it is more like the extension block thing, right? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. so there's no. Uh, but th- but th- but yeah. does it have a longest chain? So so there is no longest chain. There's okay, just fine. a there's a checkpoint basically that goes into the Bitcoin blockchain or into whatever blockchain. Yeah, and you know that the checkpoint is valid. Right. You don't know if all the data is available for the checkpoints. But through the challenge response protocol that we just described, yeah. everybody can be certain that they can get either get the data or the chain just stops moving. And now that was the last checkpoint. Sure. Okay. All right. I see. Mm. Yeah. And so- yeah, I tend it, to agree it, with it, you actually yeah. on that. I tend to agree yeah, with you on that. Well, well, you know, my point is not that it breaks anything, right? Like, it's not that I'm saying like the, the, the whole thing doesn't work. I'm just saying it's slow consensus, yeah. which I still think is very interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was slightly unfortunate that like, like he didn't, uh, he didn't acknowledge the point because I, I think it's pretty like obvious when you, when you really think about it. Um, when you're on paid, when you're on paid salaries, sometimes you, you don't want to say something that might rock the boat, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess so. Yeah, and and like again, to his credit, like he did really answer all my questions, and he helped me understand the protocol. So you know, yeah. like I I, I appreciate uh, that. And uh, but yeah, I guess maybe you know maybe you're just right. But like you know, that's the kind of thing I find so unfortunate, and that's also the kind of like incentive that is created by like these altcoins that are businesses, right? Perversion, where, perverted incentives. Yeah, yeah. Where you get things like that, and it's frustrating for me because like I'm interested in the tech, and I just. I just want to know, like, what are the limitations here, right? Where, like, how, where does it stop working? And they never answer that question, right? So you have to, like, like, I really have to, like, probe them and, like, like, can it do this? Yes. Can it do this? No. Yeah. And and then figure out, like, okay, this is, this is what the constraints are. But I, I never get a straight answer of, like, this, these are the constraints. This is what doesn't work. Yeah. I don't um, think you're going to get that yeah. from many, many no. altcoins. Almost guess, all of yeah. them. <laughs> The, yeah, the I guess that's, people, uh, that's how it works. Yeah. The only people that are sort of like manhandle you are the Bitcoiners that be like, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, like for me, like I, I had a debate with Munib as well. I don't know if you happen to see that, but um, oh, I don't think it, I did. Okay, to. well, yeah, I mean, that was that got pretty, you heated. know, he got it got yeah, it got pretty heated, and uh, you know, like I, I think this was like after the show, but like you know, he said something to me like. Uh, how would you like it if I uh, was like super critical about your space chase protocol? Uh, because I was critical about like his protocol. And you know, my answer was, I would love it. That would be great. Please. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love, uh, I would love some criticism. And uh, you know, I just like, for me, it's like, I want to just get to what works and what is true. And you know, like I said earlier, like if there's some protocol that's better than what I came up with, I'm happy too, right? Like the whole point here is, moving this forward and and getting Bitcoin to be better than it is today. Um, and yeah, it's just, I, I think it's just one of those examples um, of how, yeah, how the incentives are just perverse, right? And, and and these are the kinds of ways in which you don't get to the truth, right? When when people get offended, when you point out something negative, it, it, rationality goes out the window, right? Like yeah. we're, not, we're not there anymore talking about, uh, hey, 
there's a problem here. Let's see how we can make it better. No, 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 there's no problem there. No, no, it works fine. Don't say it. Oh, you are really mean. You know that? Why, why are you so mean to us? <laughs> and you know, you get stuff like that. It's like, you should be happy that I'm you know, helping you uh, point, point something out to you to actually improve it, right? Like that's, that's how I look at it at least. But yeah, you're, you're right, different worlds. I, I think, well, I think also there's a, a very much the Dutch influence of going on there. You know, there's a reason why the Dutch have such great engineers. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Probably, well, I mean, no, no, no. I, I found some of the most hard-nosed people I know on the engineering mm. front are the Dutch. They're, okay. they're you know, yeah, very fucking hard-nosed. I like it. <laughs> I like that. Dude, we've been going for yeah. about three hours now. Should we wrap this right. up now? Uh, I think we should wrap this up. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I'm, I'm actually finding my brain is like sort of reached a, a critical yeah, mass. Uh, for me, I felt, I felt sort of, I went like this. Yeah. Oh, did you? Where? Okay. Well, yeah, because it's like, yeah, you know, first you have like high energy and then you're just like down again. And then you sort of find this like, it's like, it's like when you're past your bedtime, you know, yes. where it's yes. like at first you're tired. And then after yes. a while you're like, actually like a, I, a second wind I gotta keep going yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly that's how i feel but no it's a, it's a good time to stop now we went through a lot and uh i thought it was a great um great show here um we really talked about things that i hadn't really been talking about much i hit on some very interesting points and you asked some great questions so thanks a lot for that it was really awesome oh dude no thank you so much for your time how can people yeah. contact you get in and con- get in touch with you um, yeah, so I would say uh, I have a site. Uh, it's just a, a GitHub gist with all my work, which is tiny.cc slash Samson, S-O-M-S-E-N. And yeah, that's uh, where most of my work is. And there's a link there also to a Telegram chat, which is t.me slash space chains. Um, and, you know, that's just a chat for all of the stuff I've been working on and even related stuff. Like we talk about other protocols there as well. Um, I have a podcast, uh, a nice podcast that I did together with three other co-hosts, which is a little bit more like less techy, but also some tech there and just a little bit more chatty and fun. I don't know if you listen to it, but uh, it's a it's a fun show. And secretly, everybody loves the podcast, but nobody wants to admit it because, um, yeah, it's it's how do I say, it's not the most politically correct podcast. I love that. Um, I, I don't like politically correct stuff. Very boring. <laughs> it's just boring, man. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. And no all the best, mate.